0: Howard from the Perdomo Cigar Studios on the Black Stage in Indian Trail, North Carolina, and broadcasting from the Drew State Studios in California. It's episode 250 of the Primetime Show. Tonight, we welcome back as our special guest, Charlie Minato of Half Wheel. And, as always, the Primetime Show is sponsored by Saga Cigars. De Ray Cigars has introduced another chapter of the saga, Saga Selez. Selez is a Spanish word that means leisure after work in the spirit of the standing ideal of owning your own journey and making your own saga. The Saga Celez is the perfect companion to enrich those moments of choice, making them truly yours. Saga Celes carries a brand of Cuyo Oro and Puloto Cubano, wrapped in a selected ecuador shade, claro wrapper, generously delivers wit elegance, a surprisingly rich and balanced smoke. It's available in three sizes at an affordable price, ask your retail for Saga Celes. And by Perdomo Cigars, awarded Nicaraguan Cigar of the Year in 2014 by Cigar Journal, the Perdomo 20th anniversary brand has consistently earned the highest scores in the industry and is a top seller in humidors around the world. The Perdomo 20th anniversary brand requires tobaccos have been carefully hand-selected and are well-aged for a minimum of eight years. The Perdomo 20th anniversary is offered in three distinct wrappers, a smooth, creamy Ecuadorian Connecticut, a rich, earthy Cuban-seed Nicaraguan Sun Grown, and a dark, oily Cuban-seed Nicaragua Maduro. Combining these beautifully bourbon-balanced wrappers with thick, high-priming binder gives, and filler tobaccos gives each blend a balanced complexity with layers of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. Perdomo cigars is a family-owned and operated company headquartered in Miami, Florida, manufacturing agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Perdomo's highly acclaimed cigar brands include the Perdomo Estate Select Heal Vintage, The Perdomo Double H 12-Year Vintage, Perdomo 20th Anniversary, Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary, Perdomo Bono Bourbon Barrelies, Perdomo Lot 23, Perdomo Mensa 70, and many more. For great tasting notes and pairing information, check out the Perdomo website at www.perdomocigars.com. And we want to mention Agonorsa Leaf. Great Leaf makes great cigars. Aganorce Leaf stands out because of the distinctive flavor of their Carojo 99 and Criollo 98 seeds cultivated by Cuban agronomists on the best lands in Alapanesli, Nicaragua. When you smoke one of our JFR, JFR Lunatic Guardian Farm, or Casa Fernandez cigars, you experience the unique taste and aroma that makes Aganorce Leaf special. You can smoke one today and enjoy the signature flavor of Aganorce Leaf. And finally, by Drew Estate. Check out and download the Drew Diploment app via your mobile device. Keep up with everything going on, Drew Estate. Experience the subculture that is the rebirth of cigars. It's available on iTunes and Google Play. For more information, check out www.drewdiplomat.com. And as always, all the live live streaming for the Primetime Network of Shows is sponsored exclusively by Drew Estate, as well as the California studios for the Primetime Show. Well, welcome, everybody. We're back. This is Primetime, episode 250. Today is Thursday, December 1st, 2022. Will Cooper here. I'm on the black stage in the Perdomo Scar Studios. And I'm joined uh, cross-country by my good friend and colleague, Mr. Aaron Loomis. How are you doing tonight, Will? I'm not doing bad at all. It was actually kind of a cruddy day, but that, that, that was just... <laughs> um. <here you> <laughs> Everything went wrong. It could have went wrong today. One of those days, but um, you know, kind of glad we're we're at the end of the day and you know doing some stuff here. Uh, it's been a it's been a while actually. We, we haven't done a show in a couple of weeks. Yep. And you know, I'm just looking back at the schedule and we're like, only two shows ago we were doing the show with Mickey Pegg during the World Series, and now I'm looking out the the bay door here and I'm seeing Christmas lights. Um, and we only took two weeks off. So that's what's yep. amazing. So I'm I'm looking like everything just came quick this year.
1: Yeah, yeah. Doesn't help that people are pushing the date for when they put up their Christmas decorations earlier and earlier. So,
0: well, you know, when I was down in Mexico uh, City and I walked around kind of the, I guess, the Fifth Avenue area, no one was pushing Christmas um, the weekend before Thanksgiving down there. So there was no Christmas up yet down there. Yeah. Um, they they told me they usually start it like right around after American Thanksgiving still down there, so they don't push it down there.
1: Okay, that's good. Take a cue from them, I guess.
0: Yeah, I know, right? But you were you were up in the I saw you were doing uh some mountain you were up in the mountains.
1: Yep. Went to the went to the mountains, did a little bit of uh sledding. Uh that was fun. So just get take a break for a few days. It was nice to get away. So you had the Clark Griswold uh That's right, that's <laughs> yeah. right. Non-caloric yeah. uh, kitchen uh, lubricant. That yep, yeah, well.
0: Yeah. well, it worked out well. Yeah, it worked out well. So, we uh, just sent some to bear, right? And uh, yep. get, get them down here. All right. So, hey, let's get into things tonight. Uh, it is episode 250. Uh, so it's a milestone episode. Um, well, look at it, Aaron. We've um, yep. <laughs> it's it's just hard to believe so that that we're around that long, yeah. But uh, we always like to do something special for 250, and um, I think we got something really special lined up tonight. Um, He's been on the show before. Um, Everyone knows him. Um, He is the best in the business what he does uh, when it covers the cigar industry. He's the one and only Charlie Minato, co-founder of Half Wheel. Charlie, welcome back to Primetime. Thanks for being on.
2: Uh, Thank you for the kind words, and congratulations, guys. This is uh, more Primetime shows than cigar videos i'd like to ever make in my life so <laughs> <laughs> you know charlie i, I watch it, I i usually don't get to see the
0: half wheel like reveal videos or pca videos live but i go back and watch them and i, I see sometimes you're
2: like damn i just wish this would be over <laughs> it's like <laughs> trying to get better at it but it's just it's not for me i mean enough going on but uh you know Bravo, you guys coop i have no clue how you all this time later, are still willing to do this many live shows? It's absolutely ridiculous. It's uh, it's got to be cut back.
1: <laughs> it's got to. He eventually. says that, and then he adds another day. Then the I add another show, day so. into
0: something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and then so it's uh yeah, but now like uh yeah, it's uh that's why we were just doing our scheduling. I said, well, you know, Aaron's going this week. I said, we'll take the week off, Aaron. It's like <laughs> so, uh, we'll be fine. You know, in terms of commitments we have back to sponsors. So uh, no, it's it, it it's good to be here. Uh, I feel like, Charlie, when we see each other, it's usually at the trade show or it's usually at um, Pro Cigar and we're busy. So we don't have a chance to actually have a conversation and just uh, talk about the industry and stuff like that. Um, But so, you know, in in other things, I know the last time you were in Charlotte, my hot water heater went uh, and I had a frantic wife that day. (laughs) So I didn't get a chance to see you. Um, That would
2: have been basically a year ago. It was about a year ago. Yeah, the hot
0: water heater went. I think it was October last
2: year it went so no uh, no no i was in charlotte this upcoming weekend a year ago oh is that late yep wow i didn't realize it was that
0: late oh because it was a championship yes it was a championship yeah, yeah. you're right it was a championship at
2: this year for some reason
0: <laughs> no <laughs> no definitely not definitely not oh but no but good to have you here so charlie you know um i want to kind of kick it off with a, with an interesting question um I mean, I guess when, when you started, like when you started out, you were still going to college doing uh, what you were doing. Like you were doing this in college right now. About 12 years yep. ago?
2: Uh, yeah. In 2010 is when oh. the cigar feed launch.
0: Yeah. No. Um, so, I mean, you've been doing this a long time. And, and I guess my question I wanted to ask you is, like, when you look back at 12 years ago versus where you are now. Uh, how do you feel you've grown and kind of honed your craft, you know, over those twelve years? Because you know you've definitely gotten better, but I'm just kind of curious how you reflect back on that versus now.
2: Um, I mean, I don't think about things in that. I don't do that sort of reflection, um, but I mean, certainly, you know, one thing I tell people all the time now is I, I spend very, very little of my time. Uh, either chasing down new stories or writing new stories or even really writing reviews. And quite frankly, even if you add editing in there, um, you know, the the majority of my day is spent, you know, kind of just running a small business and uh, a very unique small business at that one that, you know, deals with this type of publishing, but uh, that's a lot different because it used to be like, Oh, I would just, you know, I'd be, on twitter paying attention to cigar news i'd be smoking cigar through reviews i'd be writing news stories um you know so that's changed and and i also think now there's a bit more of a rhythm when it comes to the editorial stuff um but obviously i think the largest change is the the sort of people that are around me um you know when i started i was uh i had some people that were, were writing for me um and, and writing for the cigar feed but uh not the 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 level of talent and commitment. And and some of that is just circumstance, you know, um, Brooks Whittington, who's here in the office with me, you know, five days a week uh, is one of uh, if not the most talented photographer that's, you know, sort of taken a significant number of pictures of cigars Um, and having his expertise when it comes to photographs is a completely different level than what I had back then. He's got plenty of other talents. And then, you know, having Patrick agreed to sort of uh, be that, That person, when I'm not around to do my job, Patrick can do 98% of the the sort of writing stuff that I do. Uh, You know, when it comes to legislation, we have a little bit of a a different approach. He doesn't handle much of the federal stuff. Um, He really focuses much more on the state and local stuff, but um, he certainly is capable of of writing about FDA. But just having that ability to be like, oh, uh, you know, this morning, for example, there was that press release from STG about their Macanoodo Year of the Rabbit. I was in the middle of doing something, wasn't going to get to that for an hour patrick took it immediately so having that ability is very very yeah. different that's that's true that's true yeah definitely and and you know kudos to you and your team
0: um cuz that core has been together for from the beginning uh which is you know in any business to have your core team and your founding team just in place for that long is a is a great achievement so um that's obviously doing something very right there
2: yeah i don't think we really realize how fortunate we are um because there really hasn't been much more alternative brian burt was with us from um you know as a reviewer um writing a review a week essentially uh and stopped doing that a few years ago but he's still with us at the trade show and and handled some other things for us top 25 related things um and you know but other than that there's there's basically been on the half the side of things it's the same staff we started with or had in march of 2012 so not knowing what that world is like without Patrick or without Brooks or without me or even without Brian, Um, you know, fortunately we haven't had to do that yet. And uh, you know, I imagine that would be a very, very difficult uh, day to wake up and and sort of tackle.
0: Yeah. No, I keep thinking we we've like our team, we haven't lost anyone yet um, in five and a half years. And I'm
2: dread that day when it's going to come. And And you took that giant risk of, of bringing on Ben Lee. 'Cause anytime <laughs> Ben Lee joins the staff of a scar blog it goes Yeah,
0: <laughs> I know the jinx, the Ben Lee Jinx, right? I said, no, no, that ain't gonna happen but yeah, so so far so good with Ben. So uh what we well, you know I mean
1: look,
2: if there's someone that's gonna break the curse, I have faith in you will. So thanks, thanks.
0: <laughs> no, so I uh, no, no, Ben, uh yeah, it's it's been it, like having Ben actually now having like someone who knows what they're doing with video at the show. Um Is because I never did video till Ben really came in and It's hard. And uh I don't know how like it's it's a lot of work. We were just I was just telling Aaron like or or you before the show, like we're not shooting video if we go to TP, it's just it's just too much. It's it's expensive to even work on that stuff afterwards, uh with post-production and everything. It's like you know, I don't know, you know. So and uh, you know, I, I still think Charlie that what we're doing with the pen and the typewriter, I like to say it's I still think it's valuable. I still think there's a market for it. Um, but it's there's less of us than there were 10 years ago.
2: Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about that um, when we were talking about Ben. You know, the other sort of major, major difference that may not be as much about me, but the surroundings are just so different. Um, you know, in 2010 when I was starting, and you were starting right around then as well, um, at the same trade show, I think, in, in New Orleans. Yep. Um, You know, there was Stogie Review, Stogie Guys, and, you know, Barry Stein was in a different place than he is now. Yeah. Um, And, you know, just to sort of uh, Doc Diaz, I was thinking about randomly earlier as I was staring at a humidor. Um, And so uh, just a very different uh, landscape. And the other thing that was was really different was you just had a new cigar blog every month. Um, (laughs) And they sort of, because the barrier to entry was so low and because the competition maybe wasn't as, you know, fierce, or maybe it was just more spread out, you know, you could get some traction pretty early and, um, you know, it just seems very, very different today. But I, I also think some of that's just the world's changed. I think people are going to gravitate towards starting a YouTube channel or a podcast, as opposed to maybe starting a WordPress site. And, um, you know, it is what it is, but uh, we're still here. You're still here. So th- there's gotta be something to it.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I see a lot of people getting into the video and, and obviously they're very dependent on a platform, and it's amazing, and I'm not gonna call any names, but how many of these guys they don't have this stuff? Like, if their platform goes away, what do they do? Like, they they don't have not solved that problem because storing video is expensive, and you know because it's there's a lot of it. So, you know, I think a lot of people are just saying, well, it's on the platform, and they'll they'll deal with it if that day ever comes. But also, just
2: like, you know, one of the things that was interesting, and you know, we're still fortunately on YouTube. I think in large part because we don't really use our YouTube channel to do much tobacco-specific stuff. We do mainly cigar accessory videos and then trade show coverage and that's kind of incentive it. Um, but uh, I remember many years ago, we had a conversation when Facebook was lying to the the publishing industry about how many people were interacting with Facebook videos. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, and uh, we had a conversation, many conversations, about you know, saying, should we make an investment in video? And, and specifically, should we hire right. someone to kind of lead the half-wheel video endeavor because I had enough on my plate. Brooks had enough on his plate. Patrick has enough on his plate. None of us are experts in video. None of us, quite frankly, that's the the number one thing we want to do. And we, for a number of reasons, opted to to not do anything in that regard. And one of the things, and, and there are meeting notes from this that got brought up was like, what happens when YouTube inevitably pulls the plug on talking about cigars on its platform? What yeah. do you do then? And I think the real question for the people that have gotten thrown off of YouTube, unfortunately, or our, on Rumble or wherever else, is how are people going to find them? Because it's one thing, you know, when you're on YouTube and you have 400 subscribers, but you keep doing it and you see the, you know, the slow bill. YouTube has I don't know what the number is, but I'm guessing in the neighborhood of hundreds of millions of daily views. So there's just a, so many fish that you could run into even if you're an absolute idiot. I, I don't get the sense that that's the case on Rumble or whatever the other alternatives are. And so, you know, I, I think that for that, that rendition of the cigar media world, the question of how do you get a video audience to find your stuff if you're not on YouTube or I see TikTok, um, that seems like a real existential crisis.
0: Yes, it definitely is. Um, I have moved some of our stuff I know Aaron's, we've moved stuff to Rumble. I've moved some stuff to Odyssey, and I can tell you that is the case.
2: Um, what is Odyssey? Odyssey is an another time. platform like Rumble. I am getting old. Yeah. Odyssey is <laughs> another, another platform? Yeah. Is yeah, it it's not, like not, not Rumble it. or more like YouTube?
0: Uh, it's kind of like its own animal, is what I'll say. It works on, um, it, it kind of works on, it has also a cryptocurrency component to it, but you don't need oh, a puppy. Like, yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, that's where really, I think with some, but you can still put your stuff out there for free, and and but no, it's very, it's not very used much at all. It's still a very small platform, and uh, but again, our base for this show has been the Apple Podcasts. Uh, the video and the audio goes up there, and that's where our audience has been. But that can go, that could be taken away tomorrow too. So we don't know what would happen with One day, Apple could just say pull the plug on this type of content
2: as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, we're all susceptible to it. If, if yeah. Google starts screwing with its search rankings and really deprioritizing, you know, all cigar content, that would impact everyone, not just in the, the media landscape, but also in the, the e-commerce space. So yeah. it be, yeah. it, 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 quite frankly, that might be helpful for our revenue. Um, It would not be helpful for our traffic, but it might be helpful for the business end of half wheel. But, you know, we're all susceptible. I think, fortunately, on our end, we're... Sp- pretty insulated or about as insulated as you could be um but uh you know everyone's everyone's got somebody that that sort of has to feed the audience or, or feed you the audience and um the YouTube stuff though the writing is on the wall um, yeah I mean, that, that was not a, a surprise no um I haven't
0: gotten hit yet either um but it's gonna happen you know it's it's only a matter of time so um I mean the people have gotten hit that i've talked to every one of them has been using retail links and i think that's been a big pro- that's a huge that's a huge no-no if you're putting the retail links in you're gonna get flagged a lot quicker it's not to say i won't get flagged i will but um but yeah that's at some point that's gonna happen so well
2: fortunately uh fortunately for us in our little world that that uh retail links are not something we're doing on youtube so
0: no exactly yeah, we don't do it either um and like since the last year or so i've also kind of eliminated anything that could be like um uh, influence like influencer type stuff so i'm doing a lot less of what i would call that influencer types so of like i'm not doing unboxings anymore or things a lot like less that. nudity yeah yeah <laughs> you know but my dong no more dong you Know shots or anything like that, right? <laughs> so, well,
2: you know, if you got to lose that room 101 sponsorship, you got to lose that room one,
0: exactly. Exactly, exactly. Um, hey, just to let you know, um, I'm actually lighting up. You're probably familiar with this stick,
2: a good cigar. I'm uh, I had one, one left.
0: Um, the cigar that you made famous, um, you guys made famous. It probably wouldn't be a numeral, there wouldn't be a numeral, I know, if it wasn't for the original in the original uh, packaging. Yes, this is the original packaging. So I pulled this one out tonight. I said, I was going to save it for the next time you're on the show. I had one more left of these. Uh, this has got to be at least six years old that I have. I think this was, was uh, Yeah, I mean, they were
2: all... They were, I don't know off the top of my head. This is a That's a Patrick Legree. That is his... Uh, he is the expert of all things Boy uh, de Nicaragua, Numero Uno. But yeah, because it was only... The funny thing with that cigar was that They were planning on doing uh, like an event only cigar, Hoy de Nicaragua events for each quarter. Right, I think that was the only one that ever came out, Mm -hmm. and it like came out. We got some. We reviewed it. It scored really highly. That was kind of the end of it. And then it 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 got number one cigar of the year from us. Um, I guess it would have been because it wasn't last year. It wasn't the year before. And then eighteen maybe would have been. It's got to be around seventeen or eighteen. I think it's 18, but I could be off on that. Um, But yeah, and so Hoyt and Nicaragua, from what I understand, just sort of that was the end of that project. And then it became Cigar of the Year. And uh, then there was a new project. So good cigar, great cigar. Um, And I certainly wish I had more of both those and the the actual production ones.
0: Well, I'll just even tell you when I was at an event in, um, I was, a, I was in Florida and I went into Neptune cigars. Phil Zengi was in there and that's when he was with Drew estate and the reps like giving these out. And he goes, yeah. Hey, take, take, a take a handful of these. So he gave me like about seven or eight of these. Right. Um, and a little bit, uh, I smoked through some of them, but I had about four left when I think you guys gave it to number one. So I'm like, damn, you know? So now I'm at the point I just want to finish these up because if, they age out i don't know how they're gonna be so i probably haven't had one of these in over a year for sure but this is my last one i'm smoking tonight so it's well, a well it certainly is a good occasion to do so absolutely absolutely um so you know we talk about samples and i think one thing i wanted to ask you about you made a very uh bold move about a year ago you guys stopped taking samples to review yes was that something? So they, some people you, keep
2: sending them, unfortunately. The, the,
0: yeah, and and that's interesting. Yeah, the the and the swag, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a weird one.
0: My my wife has ordered me to like get rid of swag. So there's probably gonna be some giveaways coming up because she's like, this stuff's gotta go. She, I have a room upstairs. It's just like, the oh, it's yeah. over. Yeah. So there's gonna be some swag. Yeah, I mean, going. it's
2: really awkward to be like, hey, thank you for sending this stuff, but please don't ever do yeah. that again. Right. Um. But. You know, the problem is we just don't like. I feel, I feel bad sending those emails. I feel worse for the fact that the stuff comes here and like, you know, the cigars we give back to cigars warriors. So there's at least some pathway there, but like. The in the t-shirts and stuff we now give away, but it's like we don't have any use for this. It's not going to get used. And mm-hmm. I don't want you to keep sending it thinking it's going to get used, but it is what it is. I suspect this was not the question you were trying to ask though, about.
0: No, the, no, the it's a t-shirt like, problem. But, yeah. Oh, the cap problem is a bad one I have right now, too. Because like I have baseball caps and then I have cigar caps. So it's it, there's a pile like up to the ceiling in the corner. I should pick a picture of it. Oh um, no. So what the decision when you guys made that decision, I remember there was something around a PDR review, but was that something that you guys were thinking about? And that was just, Hey, this was this, the final draw. We're, we're going to make this break from it.
2: Yeah, that was, that was how that happened. Um, we had been for many years had been sort of, well, I mean, look to go back, I don't know when the decision was made at some point we decided to stop reviewing samples from what was then known as the IPSPR trade right. show. and yeah. Now known as the PCA trade show. That was a, when that happened, all of a sudden, the number of cigar reviews that we were, well, let me go back even further. When Half Wheel first started, we were re- only reviewing limited edition and pre-release cigars. I remember that, yes. So it was either a limited edition cigar, or if it was a regular production cigar, we needed to get it before it came out. It was an right. extension sort of of Smoking Stogie, Brooks' site, that we folded into Half Wheel when Half Wheel launched in 2012. Right. We, I don't know, after a few years, three or four years, we decided that, the show sample stuff was a bad idea because the cigars weren't always stored properly. Sometimes they weren't even the right cigars. And the other problem was was like, if you review a show sample that you get in July and the cigar doesn't come out until December, I got news for you. Those aren't the same cigars. No. And um, so we stopped doing that. And then we started reviewing around that time or before that time, we started reviewing regular production cigars, which kind of solved the problem of needing to heavily rely on show samples. Once that happened, the, the number of reviews where we were uh, not buying the cigars for reviews probably went from close to 50, 50 to probably less than 25% and, and very quickly less than 20%. By 2020, 2021, it was, you know, every once in a while there'd be a week where there was a couple reviews where we were sent the cigars, but I mean, it was probably around 10%, if not less than that. And, it just became a point where like financially it wasn't going to make a difference one way or the other, essentially, if we decided to buy everything. And and once we got to a point where these free cigars were becoming an outlier, then it became an even sort of larger question of like, why do we keep doing this? There were actually two reviews that sort of led to the um, let's stop doing this. The first was a Liga Pravada Bauhaus that we were sent by Juristate, State. Um, and when we reviewed it, I asked Drew estate like hey are these cigars on sale yet in Europe because it was a European exclusive or is a European exclusive and Drew estate said they're just about to go on sale and we'd have the cigars for over a month and I smoked the cigars and we're like these aren't ready they need a little bit more time but there's very clear signs that these cigars are a little bit too fresh even though they've been in our humidor for um, more than a year and a half or -hmm. more than a, a month and a half sorry. And so at that point in early 2021, we decided internally to stop reviewing any cigars that we acquired before they shipped, because that was happening very, very little at that point, maybe once every couple months. And it was like, if we're not going to do this 95% of the time, let's just not do it 100% of the time. And then there was the PDR review. Um, It was another review of mine where PDR had sent some cigars we let them sit for a month as we do with pretty much everything and we attempt to do. And I smoked them and they, they were a mess. Um, and it, we published the review because we at Half Wheel really believe that when we start a review process, we should finish it regardless of what happens unless yep. there's, you know, like if I got COVID in the middle of a cigar yeah. review, probably time to restart that. But other yeah. than that, um, you know, if the review gets started, it's got to take some pre-extreme circumstances. And the extreme circumstances can't just be that the cigar was bad. And that cigar was bad. And there were, I think, a, a lot of things that were wrong with it. And we went back after it was published. PDR kind of went back and forth with us about what was wrong and claimed that the cigars had been stored improperly and then accidentally sent to us instead of being thrown away and whatever. And it was like, you know what? There's a really easy way to never let this happen again. We'll buy everything. And therefore there's no excuses because you as a yep. cigar company sold them to a retailer. We paid That's money for them. Yep. It's a hundred percent fair game. And ethically it's a lot easier. And unfortunately, half feels in a position, you know, in 2012, when we launched financially, we could not afford to buy the number, like we spend more on cigars this year and, and this is not a new phenomenon for us. We spend more on cigars than we generated in revenue in the first year of the site. So, um, You know we weren't in a position where we could decide to to pay for 250 plus cigar reviews which at half wheel we review three cigars per review except for rex reviews um and we buy cigars each vitola to take pictures of them and all sorts of other things um it's it's you know tens and tens of thousands of dollars um we're fortunately able to afford that and so um you know ethically it just makes things a lot easier
0: do you think uh, Because I've been wrestling with this one? I have stopped reviewing show samples, but do you
2: think other cigar media should follow suit with this? I don't really, I I don't think it's my place to to tell you how to do things. Right. I think if you're in a position where it's, you know, it's not financially irrelevant, right? Like we're still spending more money on cigars than if we took free samples. Yeah. There's no question about that. Um, But if you're in a position where it's not going to, dramatically impact things then yeah i think it's probably best um and with the way that we look at it at half wheel is you know we're trying to to some degree replicate what the consumer might do yeah. so if the cigars are coming from a retailer then that's the best way to do it because the consumer probably isn't getting free cigars sent to them by Drew state um but once the fda restrictions lift who knows true state might do that <laughs> right uh but you know there's uh it's just an easier path, but I I don't think for the, you know, the guy that's starting a cigar podcast this week, I I don't think it's reasonable to expect that a, that they're going to get sent free samples the first week their podcast exists, but that if they want to try to grow this thing, right. You know, there's an advantage. And for those of you that are like curious about a lot of this stuff, I would really recommend um, Doug DeMuro, who's a car reviewer, very prominent YouTube car reviewer. He talked in depth about uh, a couple, about a month ago, in depth about sort of how this process works in, in the automotive space and it's it's quite fascinating for those of you that are not as familiar with automotive media um, and sort of went through his thinking about like where the ethical lines are in terms of you know taking free trips from car manufacturers to get access but he also explains the like there's this weird phenomenon where in order to get recognized in the car world you need to be producing a certain amount of content a certain level of content you need access to a certain you know types of cars cars that people are interested in um and there's this like chicken in the egg of like if you aren't prominent enough you aren't going to get access to those cars um and so therefore you're sort of stuck in this position and i i think to some degree that might take place in the cigar world though like you know the access to go get a cigar is 12 bucks whereas the access to go drive a corvette before it shows up on a dealer's lots is a little bit of a different story yeah yeah
1: and, and i kind of think it's almost like um just the growing process of cigar media, right? I think you know most everybody's gonna start out that way, right? you're gonna you're gonna buy some stuff, then you're gonna start getting some attention. You might start getting some samples, you start going that way. You start going to the trade show, you start getting cigars at the trade show that you can and it, it just opens you up a little bit more to having the volume there. But then as time goes on, yeah, and depending on how you're uh, going along with the site in regards to publishing your content and things like that, you kind of come to that crossroads where you have to make that decision. Like, am I going to continue on this kind of path of sticking with these 12 brands that I'm getting constant cigars from, or I'm going to start branching out and saying, All right, now I'm going to start kind of walking on my own. I got to spread it out a little bit and kind of go on that path. So I think it's um I think it's just a kind of a growth pattern uh for a lot of media sites. And you kind of could see, you know, who who gets in with the wrong crowd and kind of goes off down uh this weird path and who other people that go down the, uh, another path and kind of take it a bit more serious. So.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. Okay. For Just us, ahead, it's a little bit different. Like, you know, this is a, we have an office This is a business. Yeah. Like, yeah there's no, there's I understand. A lot of different concerns. Uh, well, no, the point I'm about to make is like, if I was, if, if I was in a 10 years ago, right. Like, cause this is what was happening. Like if true state's going to send a box of cigars, yep. like I'm not going to go out and then buy a five pack to be, like ethically right in the right 10 years ago. Yeah. It's really dumb when we do it at half wheel and it happens every other month where somebody will send us cigars and we'll send them a kind email and be like, Hey, thank you for sending them. Turns out we just bought them last week or we're planning on buying them this week or whatever. And it's like, you know, watch me spend money and throw it down a drain. Um, (laughs) and, uh, you know, we do it and uh, they're, I don't think anyone would be able to know that we didn't do it. But, you know, if you're curious and you're curious, if we bought some cigars, you can send info at halfwheel.com in an email and about what specific review and I will produce the receipt for you. There you go. We have all of them.
0: There you go. Sorry, Will, I cut you off. No, no, I was I was interrupting you, actually. So I apologize. When you guys were doing the pre-release reviews and you did the half wheel End the year list, did you base those on pre-release reviews or production reviews at that point? No,
2: that was on on whatever we reviewed. So it would have been on pre-release. Reviews. Okay,
0: so you back then you was just hey, this is what we smoked and okay.
2: Yeah, yeah those those originally. By the
0: way, I'm glad I'm glad you made so that awesome. change. I'm glad you made the change you've made recently because because we lately we've been like we you know now we see so many people put pre-release stuff on their list and it's like you know it doesn't even have the band on it. So you know.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, we were the worst abusers of that system because we were reviewing... I was, too. I mean, we all. I, I did, it too. Yeah, I did, it too. Well, no, I mean, but Half Wheel was so skewed because yeah. of the sort of... Res- ...the weird restrictions. I, I really... You want to talk about, like, reflecting back on baffling choices. That was one of the more baffling ones. That and bolding random words in the review, another carryover of <laughs> that we did for a couple of years that every once in a while I'll run across a review that hasn't been cleaned up. And I'm like, what on earth were we thinking? <laughs>
0: It's amazing when you go back and look at your old content and like I look at mine, it was so bad. It's like, yeah, I don't I, I don't
2: even want to look at it. It's but it's out there. So yeah, but I mean that's the the you know, the one thing I'll say about because we could we could go in and like delete all the content from prior to whatever date to make us feel better. Um, but you know, it's not realistic. Like yeah. I I forget where I was like listening to this the other day, but somebody was talking and they were saying, like, if you don't look back at yourself you know, the, the decisions that you were making 10 years ago and you aren't disgusted by some of them, then you you haven't grown. <laughs> yeah. that, that, you're still exactly. making those
1: disgusting decisions.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, you know, <laughs> yeah. if you look back at your decision-making from 10 years ago and are like, nailed it, then, you know, you're not making the right decisions today. No, I mean, I can
0: tell you that uh, some of the earliest reviews I have have pictures that were taken with a Palm Pilot that had camera capabilities. <laughs> so, Rest of peace. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did, was it the cell phone palm pilot combination or just the palm pilot it was the self i had one of those cell phone ones yes and was it
2: was it the palm branded one or the hp co-brand it was the one? palm
0: branded one got it it was a palm branded one yeah i, I was I think thinking up in the, in the day, grade, i think i like, think all
2: the the random co-branded hp products from like, yeah. circa 2005 i think they had an ipod that they like co-branded too where there it was did. like an HP enabled iPod which I'm guessing meant that it came with like a CD with so you could install Windows on or iTunes <laughs> on your Windows computer. Yep. I mean it had uh, yeah, yeah, just remember that and
0: Microsoft Zooms and stuff like that. I still have a Microsoft No, no, this Zoom. was an
2: iPod. Like this, oh, this was an, an iPod actual. Yeah, you can put I, on the I'm iPod. I'm fairly certain it. No, this oh, wow. was an iPod made by Apple that was like co-sold with HP and there was like some special software it came with. Wow. If I'm not mistaken, um, wow. and I'm pretty sure they did the same thing. I know Dell like had a Palm Pilot that they just rebranded. Um, yeah, we 15 year old Charlie may have been way too IBM was doing stuff computer. like
0: that too. They were doing stuff like that too before they sold a lot to Lenovo, but they had they had they also rebranded something. I think it was called the idea pad, they had and it was a rebranded PD some sort of PDA. I don't remember what it was.
2: iPod plus HP. Wow, <laughs> that's what it was called. <laughs> Wow!
1: Just tack your yeah. name onto the end of it. There you go.
2: There you go.
0: Wow! Wow. Um. All right. So, consensus. Are you gonna do a consensus yes. this year? I am. I so think. I know you were you I, last <laughs> time, you you were a little on the fence.
2: Yeah. Look, I I just you know I think you guys care about it way more than I do. Um. But uh, yeah, you know I think until. Until it becomes to the point where I think it's doing more harm than good for both my personal life and the, the collective cigar world, then I'll continue to do it. Um, but, you know, if anyone wants to to take the helm of it, yeah. uh, um, so Joe, I won't be Joe sad Gro- to, yeah, to pass Gro- off those happy. responsibilities. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The qual- Quality Importers Trading Company could just do it.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, you don't know. I told Joe. This is what I told Joe to do. I said, go buy no, some unbanded cigars, send them out to the cigar media to review call them QI cigars, and get on
2: the consensus. That's I told them to do. That's true. <laughs> I did. There was <laughs> supposed to be some uh, Palio right before it it went completely under, if I'm not mistaken. Or no, Palio had a cigar brand called, the, like, Stensia. The, Ascensia. the Ascensia. It wasn't a yeah. bad cigar either, yeah.
0: Yeah, Joe could bring that back. Bring back the essencia, yeah. Joe. Yeah, just find some cigars and do it. <laughs> but, uh, any, any, so my question is, we were just talking about this earlier when we just, so now, like, in the past, you have gone to YouTube, right? And you've looked at these yep. YouTube. Now you have some guys who are no longer on YouTube.
2: How are you handling that this year? Me and Rumble are, and the Rumble search feature are going to get real <laughs> familiar with one another. The, the Rumble you're come search out of the feature. other end with a yeah, MAGA hat on, I'm sure. Yeah, so you're going to have to go <laughs> into that one, too. I can see all of the, the videos that people are making seven cents for. Yeah. Which huh. I find, like, to be just really, like, I I guess it's good that we know that they're getting allegedly getting paid but like it's very depressing to look at it and be like four cents seven cents six cents and this comes from a place from somebody whose YouTube content was never monetized so it's not like I've gotten a single check from yeah. YouTube uh but uh that's a bit depressing um but yeah no I mean I, it's one of those things I'm still trying to think over if there is an easy way to try to in, to like include some Instagram accounts or people like that but I I just don't I don't know and I don't feel comfortable perhaps enough to necessarily go down that road. Um, it also becomes like a real, you know, with the, with some of the stuff, it's a lot easier to figure out like who's behind the accounts with some of these Instagram accounts in particular. It's like, I don't know if this is 26 people running this or if this is one person or if this is, you know, a store or whatever. So
0: yeah, um, yeah, I was going to ask it back, it,
2: yeah, about that. Yeah. Probably not on the Instagram land, but I'm certainly thinking about it. It's the one, like, major sort of uh, beyond the I need to figure out where all these YouTube folks went that got uh, deplatformed or claimed that they got deplatformed and left voluntarily, Um, you know, where they all are. And then um, the other one, big one, is is trying to figure out if there's a way to... to include Instagram accounts because I, I do think that it's important to point out that like some of these Instagram accounts are extremely influential, or, or some of them might even be more influential than half of when it comes to making cigar buying decisions. Um, and so, you know, I it, if that's the case, like I really need to take it seriously and find ways to include them. It's just tough when it comes to like where's the the line of what Instagram accounts get included and which ones wouldn't. Right.
0: Is there a consensus that you've done? Like you've always said that this is meant to show more or less an exercise of the relationship between cigar media and companies. Is yes. there one consensus that stands out um, with that? Because I, I, I have two in mind that stood out. I'm just wondering if you have one by memory. Hey, this is this really just nailed it. Like if this doesn't show that, I don't
2: know what does. Um. Yeah, I mean, the one where Cuenca Blanco, which I think at the time was known as Clanky Blanco, maybe it had been rebranded yeah. by that. So it I was rebranded, was, I think, towards the end of the year or something like that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that one was a, a pretty clear one of, like, you know, here's... uh, Because because de Nicaragua, I don't think, was doing particularly well prior to um, the time that Jose Blanco joined the company right. in terms of getting on um, you know, Cigar Media Lister Estate itself hadn't really started. They That was the starting of the ramping up the Drew State media machine to a level that you know it kind of got to um, prior to that it was it was very very different um and you know that one stands out but I don't I mean you know I, I think yeah. that the, the the long-term takeaways have been that the Drew State media machine that was established right around that time and has kept going it remains the you know the strongest force in the performances by Drew State and Hoya Nicaragua and then two former Drew State partners, Steve Saka and Nicholas Malillo, now with Dunbar and Spackling Trust and Foundation Cigar Company, respectively, their own companies that they established post-leaving Drew Estate, um, you know, that always stands out as a long-term legacy. But I'm curious to know the two that, that stood out to you, Will
0: Well, uh, they were the last two years. So, and it, two years ago, the um, Year of the Rat, which, basically, you could not get that cigar. Like, you had to go to an event to get that Year of the Rat cigar. And I think that finished in the top Three, maybe it was top five so i was like you know and no one could get their hands on that cigar but every cigar media person had that on a list and then the second one was um and i've gotten a lot of trouble with steve on this one is um paladin de Saka. making making like a scar that wasn't available it was the only reason that was reviewed is because one it was sent to cigar media and two cigar media prioritized that or probably over
2: half the other stuff they had otherwise it would yeah have. i mean. I, I guess I take that approach of like, I use this to look at the, as a way to look in between the relationship between cigar media and cigar companies. So I don't, I don't look at it from an ethical dilemma. I, I mean, think they worked. the I system. Just, I'm going to say they worked the system. I'm not saying it was unethical
0: what they yeah. did. I'm just saying they worked the system. There was no doubt about it.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's always tough because the the thing that, I mean, look, but of all of like what the Paladin de Saka did last year, like that was the, Excuse me. That was the, you know, this is what this is the sausage being made. Like, you know, when all the clothes are off and all the lights are on and there's nowhere to hide, this is what it looks like or can look like, I guess, is like, you know, and, and Steve didn't shy away from doing it. And like if I was in Steve's shoes or one of Steve's competitors, I would do the exact same thing. It's a whole bunch of pretty cheap publicity that you can earn you know, if you have that reputation and, and if people think the cigar is that good, the thing that always like on my end, if you're like, what's the the part of the consensus that you look at and go, this is the one that I really have a, a tougher time with. It's the, what the magazines do when it comes to, we're going to put one cigar from 25 different companies on our list. And we're not going to tell you that that's the process that we're doing. And right. I, I don't want to speak for all of the magazines because some of them might do that. I've yet to really witnessed that disclosure um and it's like you know i don't i don't think if you went into a cigar shop and asked the guy sitting in the chair like hey what are your five favorite cigars that you've smoked this year i have a really hard time believing that unless you tell him or her specifically that they need to limit it down to one cigar from or limit of one cigar per brand that they're ever going to do that like most people are probably going to be like i like the you know Padron 1964 Maduro in this size and the Padron 1964 Maduro in this size and the Padron 19, you know, 26 Maduro in this size and be like, Oh man, you might be a Padron smoker. Um, and like, cool. Like, you know, I like nachos, you know, if you had to ask me like, Hey, like what's, what's been some of your favorite meals this year? Probably not a lot of nachos, but like, what's been some of your most frequently ordered meals Uh, concerning amount of nachos.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: But you know, then you have the flip side
0: of the problem, um, where, there's certain media outlets that will review a very small amount of brands. They review the brands they like, and then their their list is loaded with those brands. And people are like, Well, why are they? Re-? That's all they reviewed this year, is what I'll say.
2: I guess. But I mean, Halfville not that long ago put two Taiwanese in our top three and five on our top 25, if I'm not mistaken. Well, it was an I anomaly. Mean, I mean, that was it weird. happens some years. It's just the way yeah. it works out. I mean, it, yeah. I, I, it was a good yeah. year for Pete.
0: Yeah. 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 It was a really good year for Pete. This is my my list is is like really weird this year because I have some weird stuff like that happen this year too. the couple couple companies had really good years, and Pete was
2: one of them. I'll tell you that. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, here's the the main takeaway. Like, if you if you think that these lists are should be taken at you know as the any sort of Bible or whatever, like you're you're out of your mind. And the the easiest thing you can look at to figure out just how like how much you would disagree with the process. Like the Heisman is, you know, the voting for the Heisman is about to take place or is starting to take place. I don't really know when it opens, but we're in college football Heisman season. It is a much, much simpler in a lot of ways. It's like name your three most outstanding players. And there are people who have been voting on this award for decades. There are people who watch, you know, who played the game of football and who now write about football or commentate on football um and you will see just some bizarre like what on earth was this person thinking like when they claimed that these were the three players they put on their list and it's like well there are 50 something or 60 something division one college football games in any given weekend unless you dedicate your life to watching all of them and that's pretty much the only thing you're going to do besides eating and sleeping like you're not going to see them and you know you're limited to the narrow viewpoint that that each individual person has and even if you and i and aaron all smoked the same 100 cigars in 2022 and scored all of them using the same criteria and whatnot we're not going to come up with the same list and even at half wheel when we whittle down the, the contenders which are the cigars that score 91 points or above it, when we look at the scores like the scores are not not the same there are there's you know every year there's a few cigars where three of us like it and one person you know does not like it and there's always one or two cigars where one person really likes it and the other three of us are not entirely sure this is an above average cigar um and that's because we're not necessarily smoking the same cigars because we're not doing a puff puff pass and we also don't have the same talents right which i think aaron you have a little bit of that with your team
0: right
1: yeah and i think that's what uh exactly yeah. what what yeah. we like about it is that you're yeah. showing that it's you know somebody can say that they love yeah. this particular cigar and you can say you don't like it but that doesn't stop a person that likes it from enjoying it so yeah. and I'll go have you guys ever else.
2: considered um because you know you guys are one of the few that has like a panel on in the mm-hmm. blogosphere right there were or multiple reviewers who are gonna order the top 25 cigars yep. roughly the same 25 cigars um we don't publish the individual rankings like each of our like what brooks's top 25 was and what patrick have you guys considered not though i don't care about this for the consensus purposes but i'm just curious we've uh, always i've taken the approach that like i think that that sort of diminishes the the product that is the end result of the list because then it's like well you know if there's a year where none of us actually have the number one cigar of the year is number one and it's like well the only reason why i got it was because brooks hated this placenta or whatever and therefore the Placencia would have won except brooks had a bad draw yeah um have you guys ever thought about not uh not publishing the individual list
1: um i mean i could but it i mean if somebody wanted to go through all the reviews they could create the list on their own like they the scores are out like you guys don't publish the scores from the the people that didn't do the initial review right so they couldn't there's no way anybody could populate the list on our site they could if they wanted to i'm just taking the work out of it so that know, lazy people can't figure it out. So I mean, I could just not show it, but it, it could be replicated if they wanted to. Replicate. I guess I hadn't
2: considered the fact that that because of the way that you guys review cigars on a day to day basis, that my question was dumb.
1: No, that's no, it's completely understandable. I mean, I, I you know, I could see how what you say is there is like, you know, I, I just want to go look at all the lists. And now I'm going to see how they just try to see how they figured all this out. And like you said, it can entirely be possible that the number one cigar is not was not number one on anybody's list. And uh, people might have a problem with that, but it's the way it works. Look, I got
0: blamed, and I got blamed from from a from someone who's a Dumbarton fan for costing Sin Compromiso number one on the consensus a few years ago because I didn't I didn't have it on my list. So that's that's yeah, you all and time- the other
2: thirty one people. That- that didn't have it on. I, list. I was,
0: I was blamed. You, you call Steve, Steve, not by Steve, not by Steve. Steve had a pretty, uh, Steve was pretty cool about it, but yeah, it was a, <laughs> It's still my favorite email I ever got <laughs> to this day. I, I have that one. It's a, it's a classic. All right. So, so we will see a consensus. Uh, Joe will be, uh, Joe girl will be very happy. Um, I will tell you that. <laughs> we got one. That's the key. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Good. Uh, all right. Let's turn to some industry stuff. Um, You know, I think, Charlie, a a big story, and I think you guys really covered this space well. Um, Obviously, we've seen price increases. That's not the surprise. But this whole higher prices that we're seeing um, is another big thing. Coming out of the trade show, I mean, what were your impressions about some of the price points we were seeing from new companies and on new lines this year? Because I I got – I was quite shocked. I'll be honest with you what what I was seeing with prices.
2: Yeah, I mean, I – when I did our sort of editorial wrapping up our trade show coverage, I went back and looked at, I just pulled, I forget, 15 companies maybe, and like looked at the, the new products that they were introducing at the trade show this year compared to, I think, five years ago. And, and there was a clear price increase, but it wasn't that much more than the equivalency of a 5% price increase year over year over year. Right. Um, and so I... I don't know. I, the thing that stands out to me more than anything else is are the brands that you would not think of as the luxury brands. So the brands that Davidoff and Padron and Fuente, when it comes to like Opus X, when and you know Atabay and Byron, you know those types of brands. When when they think of their competitors, I'm sure they have a list that's like Davidoff, you know Fuente, Padron, Atabay, Byron, etc. Um, it's weird seeing some of these brands that you would not think of in that space. And then all of a sudden it's like $35 cigar here. And it's, you know, I get it like, you know, can't knock the hustle, but um, that's a a bit of a bizarre one to me. Um, I I think it might be better to be quite honest. I mean, there's less competition oddly at the $30, you know, Davidoff, Padron, Patoro, Selected Tobacco, uh, placencia price range than there is at the twelve dollar price range, but you know on the other hand, it's a thirty dollar cigar, and I'm not sure that we need more of those in the world. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you, on that.
0: Um, what do you think of? I mean, the Cuba, Cuba raising the prices of Cohiba and Trinidad, a a big thing. Um, I know it's been talked about a lot. I, I think the reasons are pretty clear why they've done that. Um, but do you feel like, like, this is kind of what I'm seeing. Do you feel like now some of these other companies are looking at their lines and saying, well, why can't we do the same thing? And I'm looking at, for example, what Davidoff did with the Winston Churchill line this year with some of the price increases around that. Do you think down there starting to look at that saying, well, we can't let Cuba get this space. We, we gotta, we gotta make a mark in this space
2: too. Man, I hope not because then they might start making plug cigars with tobacco. That's not properly (laughs) fermented too. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know, look, I I think that, I'm guessing most people don't, I mean, maybe I'm completely wrong about this. I'm guessing most people don't really know why the Cuba price increases were. I mean, there's many reasons, but like the main one was pretty simple. They just wanted more profits. Like that that is what I've been told. Um, Certainly I think basic supply, you know, demand supply says uh, like they don't have enough supply. That's not changing anytime soon. Demand is only increasing. Um, and so, you know, you're leaving money on the table. Um, and, uh, and, and also like if you're a Cuban cigar distributor, if all of a sudden your supply has been cut by 30 or 35%, and, and that's just a random number off the top of my head, um, that's 30 or 35% in revenue that's out the door as well, unless you do something to increase, uh, the prices of the cigars or to increase your profit margins. So, um, you know, which they did, they increased the profit margin. Uh, I, I don't know what to make of it. I mean, it's it's absolutely absurd, but you know, I don't think that I, I don't think that anyone could reasonably get away with what uh, Habanos did, other than maybe maybe uh, you know, Fuente with with some of their Opus X stuff. But um, which they've done a couple of that, or I mean, they've done some. Well, they haven't raised it, but they have some of the Opus X twenty fives and stuff. You know. Yeah, but I mean that wasn't an Ellie Blue Humidor and whatnot. Yeah. But like I mean the regular Opus right. X, right? MSRP's. Uh, let me see if I can pull them up. Just because, you know, for the the people listening at home, here's some <laughs> valuable valuable stuff. Let's see, like a Opus X Robusto MSRP as of. January whenever the most recent price increase but as of earlier this year the robusto is 1740 or sorry that's the double robusto is 1745 the double corona is 2015 the triple x Bellicoso is 13 Petite lancero is 1415 regular robusto is 1545 msrp so i mean you know that's a, that's a long way from trinidad prices yeah did you smoke the? If
0: you, you smoked that Cohiba, the, the Limitada 55?
2: Uh, no. Um, Brooks has, but I didn't go to the Habanos event, so uh, uh
0: I I had an well, I'll, I'll I'll disclose this story. I don't think I told Aaron this. So, I supposedly got that cigar, right? Um, and I, I had a couple of them. I smoked it, right? It was pretty good, right? And I'm like, there's something not right about this cigar, right? It, it didn't have it turned out it didn't have the Limitada band, so I, I, I uh, I asked the person who got it from me from from the uh, Cohiba event, I'm like, is this the Limitada? He's like, yes, yeah, this is the Limitada. I'm like, then I go look at the size and this thing's an inch shorter. I'm like, this ain't the Limitada. I actually had to stop. I actually had to invalidate the whole review. I had to actually punt that. That's a case where I had to punt the review. It wasn't. It was the one I found out it was the one they gave out at the dinner, which was basically the Robustos. So I'm like, that's, that's why I'm saying this is a good start. But yeah, so I did not smoke that cigar, Aaron.
2: I had to invalidate that review over the weekend. <laughs> Yeah, uh, go, yeah go I mean, we, we have some, but they were all ones that were given to us, so yeah. they're not yeah. review eligible. Yeah. I mean, I've yeah. yet to see them really listed in yeah. a store that's not trying to charge $400 a cigar. So at some point, I'm sure that I will smoke one, but, uh, you know, here's the deal. I mean, one of the, the interesting things to think about is, and this is, you know, just sort of philosophical capitalism, right? Like the quality of Cuban cigars did not get better. Um, like maybe it got incrementally better but like right. it didn't suddenly get better pre price increase first post price increase and, and you know the supply of Cuban cigars didn't really change pre uh, you know the number of cigars have was shipping to distributors didn't really change pre price increase first post price increase you know this is just a completely artificial correction to the supply and demand curve um and so you know like I don't look at those Cohibas and being like oh man it's probably going to be the greatest cigar of all time like it's a cigar, it's dried up tobacco leaves, and you know, it just happens to be one of the ones that people are willing to pay absurd amounts of money for. Um, but you know, who am I to judge? We are the same people that also spent an insane amount of money trying to review the uh, Opus X-25s this year. <laughs> did you buy a humidor? No, fortunately we did not have to buy a humidor, but we did uh, still manage to spend thousands of dollars trying or doing that review, so fun times. Yeah, now you didn't buy the humidor for the my father that got number
0: one, right? No, you guys, you guys had you guys got your. Hand, you got the, well, I read you guys. did. Hand up.
2: Oh, you did. Oh, I wish I. Oh, you wish. Well, you did. because yeah, so the the humidor deluxe, which was our number one cigar of the year last year, um, which also came in an Ellie Blue humidor. Atlantic to our company broke up a humidor and sold singles as well yeah, as I remember, I think yeah. it was like nine cigars and the humidor and uh I mean, the the truth of the matter is I I don't really, I I wouldn't say no to a humidor. Like, what you know, it's an LA Blue humidor. It's a very, very nice humidor, I'm sure. sure. Um, But uh, I really, what I meant to say was I just wish I would have bought more of them. Um, You know, I had no idea at the time that they were going to be that good. And the problem is, is that uh, apparently retailers were not supposed to break up the humidors. So once Atlantic sold out of their broken up humidor and then got told that they weren't supposed to be doing that, um, then the chance of buying singles sort of vanish right? Right, right, makes sense.
0: I guess I could see why they want to do it that way.
2: Um, except during our top 25 live show when we announced it as a cigar of the year, and there were like two people in the comments being like, I hated the cigar. DM me if you want some. <laughs> I can <write> retailers, <laughs> <laughs> they had to be retailers trying to get rid of it. No, uh, I think if you were a retailer, I man, I'd hope half of those oh, that's what you'd you know, say. It's great, Influences no, yeah, right, 41 right, yeah. people. Yeah, enough that you know they'd be like oh great now we can finally sell these no it it seemed like they were probably consumers that had purchased some and yeah didn't didn't enjoy it as much as i did i thought it was an excellent cigar yeah
0: speaking of ridiculous um the lfd nft uh now it's called the i believe now it's just called the golden i don't think it's called the golden bull anymore i think they had some sort of a trademark issue i heard um, what were your thoughts around that whole NFT thing that they did?
2: I was stunned. Uh, bravo to Tony and, and the rest of the yeah, I was team too, yeah. for, for killing it. Um, I thought they would sell for about 25 grand, um, the NFTs. And boy, was I wrong. Um, and uh, I don't know. I'm curious to see where the demand is for the individual cigars five or six months from now.
0: Uh, I got 50% off. One retailer offered me 50% off already of $200
2: they're trying to sell for. Um, I've smoked some of the, I've smoked the Vitola uh, back when it was, you know, a Tony Gomez personal right. cigar. Um, interestingly enough, one showed up earlier today. Um, we purchased some things from Jack Schwartz or purchased something from Jack Schwartz and they were kind enough to, send us one um the packaging the gold foil on it is beautifully well done um i don't i know lafleur is trying to claim that there is like some difference between the non-golden wrap one and the golden wrapped one but i'd love to know if that is remotely true but uh it looks good and you know once i said bravo to them i'm curious to see if there, there's still the demand you know five or six months from now for people to pay you know quite frankly north of 75 dollars a cigar for those things. Um, I just imagine the audience is a little bit more limited than the NFP hoopla might have suggested.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what the demand. I, I don't like. I already had two retailers asking me to buy the cigar to review. Let's to be honest with you. I'm like, uh, not That's yet. That's not a good
2: sign because there's like what nine, eight retailers that have them. Seven yeah. retailers.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've already been. Because
2: um, one of them I, went to a, a consumer, and one retailer bought two of them, but then one two retail, retailers bought one of them. Yeah. That's my uh there's six retailers or something that have them? There's five retailers
0: and but one of them has two and one consumer.
2: Yeah, but I didn't think... Danny Dickowich and uh Mato split guys? right, yeah. They split yeah. one, you're right. So it's six. Yeah, you're so right. So that cancels out the the two that cigar country bought. Yeah, you're right. Man, yeah. these are some brain cells that I have committed yeah. to not the best <laughs> uses. Yeah. If I mean, only these I... I could go to learning Spanish. You know,
0: I was kinda like um if you I, I kind of just said no, but I mean I smoked I got one at the show. It was a good cigar. I mean it's not a bad cigar I had. Um, but it wasn't you know it I'm doesn't not do redo- anything
2: like the Andalusian bowl, in my opinion. It
0: doesn't take no I actually think the best size they did was the Jack Schwartz size. And I, I told you that one they did the toro it was like a Toro they did for Jack Schwartz. Yeah. I think that was the best size. They should have found a way to put that one into production because I think that was the best one. They or could. give it you bring it back to Jack Schwartz because it would not surprise me in. to
2: learn that like if you walk into jack schwartz tomorrow in the uh, the mercantile building the mercantile building yeah uh, if you walk in there like in person that there's just not like a corner of the humidor where there just happens yep. to be some bundles of them that would <laughs> that would totally not be surprising to learn that billy mm-hmm. is has yeah. got plenty of them and is still selling them
0: when i worked for ibm like years ago and I, I i would go to chicago once a month i'd always go to jack schwartz i used to be there all the time so now it's like i'm not there anymore so um but yeah, I used to go there smoke in the morning and everything too. Uh, right. By is my there house.
2: a cooler location for a cigar shop in the U.S.?
0: Mm, E1 Reese, which is right near there, is really cool yeah, because the, they have the lounge by the trains is really cool. And I used to get access to the lounge there, which was nice.
2: But, I mean, um, the no, Clayton is like absolutely absurd. If we're yeah. just going to talk about like like actual cigar shops, but like in terms of like the location, no, it, you like,
0: can't beat it. You really can't beat that.
2: It's it's in the downtown of a major city in America. It's in a historic building and it's in a building that like you would just never expect a cigar shop to be, you know, in 2022. No, I agree. And, and you, can you, tell- you can smoke inside.
0: You can smoke inside. and You can smoke in the morning. You go there; they open seven in the morning. They have a, they have a business that people go in and smoke before they go to work. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it is. And I tell you, if you go in there, you go there in the morning. And then if you want to go to E1 Reese or some other place you could if you want to drive out to Casa de Monte Cristo at night, you do that. But I I, yeah, the, uh, I see the, it all the
2: time. Chicago cigar shops are, uh, there's a, there are levels to this game. And, and there are very few cities that can rival Chicago.
0: No, I agree. And then there's some holes in the wall places. I've gone to too in Chicago, which are even pretty cool. So I, I agree. It definitely, uh, uh, we, you know, Nielsen is up in, in he, but he's out in Rockford. So um, he's out in the suburbs. So have either hit... of
2: you guys been inside of the Clayton's private lounge? I have not no. been in the private lounge, no. But I know about this Clayton, yeah. Yeah, the Clayton Private Lounge, I would I would be stunned to learn that there's a better cigar shop in terms of the aesthetics and just the, the absurdity in North America than the Clayton.
0: Yeah, I've heard um, all sorts
2: of stories about it though. They got showers or a shower, like so that way you can. You can shower and change so that your wife doesn't know that you were in a cigar <laughs> shop all day long.
1: Right, right. Yeah. They they give you an alibi as well as you leave.
2: And, uh, yeah. I mean, for the amount of money they're charging, I feel yeah. like that's probably included <laughs> in the deal. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: exactly. All right. So let's turn to uh responsible marketing. Um by the way, uh your I'm gonna, you know, I've said this, I was a big I'm very much in support of the article you did. I think you did a great job on that article um you got a lot of criticism for it um but let's talk about that like we i know why you wrote the article but um had you know criticism what do you think about the criticism you got back on that because a lot of people say charlie shouldn't have wrote that article it hurt the business and i didn't i did i could not disagree more with that that's my opinion yeah. i'm not speaking for aaron by
1: the way
2: i mean like i don't i don't write a lot of things where it's like i'm cons- you know i'm gonna delete this yeah. because i'm a but right. you know like yeah, you know, I'm afraid of the reaction. Like, I will edit things because sometimes I feel like I'm not accurately describing my feelings. But, um, yeah, I mean, that was that was as honest as in as like as accurate as that was. I was had been in the Dominican Republic at Pro Cigar, had been walking around people's cigar factories, and had seen you know the the workers and the owners of these factories and the people that managed them and the families that, that built them and the families that work there and all the effort and labor that have been put into it. And then I get on a plane and before the plane takes off, I get a press release about, you know, some cigars with, you know, dessert packaging. And it's like, this is buddy, We have, we have gone way, way over the line. I came a month after the, the PCA had attempted to do something that I don't, you know, who knows what they were I know what they're trying to do, I suppose, but, or I think I do, but I, you know, hadn't really uh, conveyed the message across, I think in a very um, hopeful way or, or a way that was easy to understand. And yeah, like, I don't, the criticism is, is what it is. Like if, if I was concerned about the criticism, I, I wouldn't be publishing my thoughts on the internet yep. and putting my name on it. Um, yep. So, yeah, I, I I believe that if the industry, regardless of the outcome of of the FDA lawsuit or the outcome of any number of other potential future litigation, future legislation, if the industry chooses to embrace that style of marketing and packaging um, that it is playing with fire. And I've said before this, you know that article and and you know many places that you know the government is judge and jury. When it comes to cigar regulation, um, fortunately, the U.S. court system is much more lenient towards, you know, the tobacco industry than most court systems around the world. But um, there's just it's not needed, and I don't think the market for those products is all that much. And I also don't think that it's necessary to sell those products in that manner. Whether it's the, you know, the stuff, the golden cigar chocolate bar type packaging, whether it's the Jocelyn Cool Munchies with you know the the food products on them, or whether it's the stuff that Provada and others have done. You know where you got ice cream cones and things like that. And I, I credit some of those companies for stopping that behavior. Um, that was the point of the article. It wasn't to try to get hits or anything like that. It was to say, hey, look, as someone that has, you know, I might not know anything about this at the end of the day, but I have spent hundreds of hours on the phone reading court briefs, reading legislation, talking to people on. Multiple sides of this issue. Um, as someone that's that's put in that time, I come away from all of that time thinking that products like that are are not good and are just potential, you know, landmines that the cigar industry is going to step on. And, and as I mentioned repetitively in that article, unfortunately, when one of those mine, landmines goes off, it's going to affect everyone. It's not just going to affect the company that chose to put an ice cream cone or an ice cream Sunday on packaging. It's going to be everyone gets impacted or, or nearly everyone, including halfway. Yeah. No, no doubt. Um,
0: it was, um, I remember, but here was what was interesting about that. Charlie is that press release came out on a Saturday. I remember where I was literally. I was at, I, cause I left pro Cigar a day early to go to Abe uh, at the great smoke. And I remember I was on the floor of the great smoke when that came in. So it was a Saturday, and some people had already published that press release, right? And no one said a word about it until your article, though. Your article brought awareness to the issue. I mean, there's no doubt about it because people weren't saying a word about it. I had made a decision not to publish it. That was my decision. Um, And I had made that decision actually two months earlier after reviewing a Viaje candy cane. And I'm like, I don't think we should be – I I had a bad feeling about it, and I said, this is it. I'm, I'm turning off the food cigars after this right now. Um, so, but it was your article, I think that brought the awareness to this, uh, to a very good level and you could agree or disagree with it, but you can't argue that that article brought awareness to this problem, um, with that. And obviously the PCAs, we'll talk about the PCA in a little bit. We'll hold off on the PCA, but, um, but yeah, obviously, um, I thought
2: maybe we we're going to get through this without it. That would have been, a no, you're getting, you're getting the PCA.
0: <laughs> That's okay. The under would have
2: cashed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, the, uh, but, um. Where did Charlie, so where do you guys? I mean this is the part that now I've now, Aaron's taking a different approach, and I, I respect Aaron's opinion on it, right because he's reporting news and he wants to report all the news. but I, I have said, all right, I'm drawing the line. But where have you guys drawn the line? And I'll give you a couple of examples I looked at that what you guys did. So, for example, you covered Riste's Swedish cookies release, but you didn't cover the silver bar, right? So where did you decide the line should be? As far as that, is it strictly a packaging thing that you're looking at with that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a case by case situation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the packaging is the is the much more impactful thing, okay. you know, because I when you listen to a city council meeting when they're trying to increase the smoking age to 21, which you know now that the federal law has been changed, but like you know, Patrick LeGreed, to be very clear, did more of that reporting than anyone that's ever walked this planet. Um, But I did a decent bit of it. And, uh, you know, no shame in being second place in that regard. Um, And when you, like, watch those city council meetings taking place, when you see it take place at the statewide level, even when you listen to congressional, you know, testimony, when Marco Rubio's, you know, out there stumping for the cigar industry in a Senate hearing, you consistently hear the messaging of, like, these products are not marketed to children. They are expensive products. They are made to be consumed occasionally in a lounge with a glass of whiskey, and they don't have fruity flavors with, you know, this type of packaging to try to market towards children. And so the packaging stuff is, um, is certainly the larger thing. And and the last, you know, not the last thing, I'm sure we'll keep going on this for a little bit, but like the other thing I'd say is like, I wish that we lived in a world where, this was okay. Like I thought that the room one of the original room 101 uncle Lee packaging, which was a cereal box with, you know, that was just done meticulously. Well, I thought that was some of the best packaging and the most creative packaging that the cigar industry has ever seen. Yeah, great. Certainly I, amongst the packaging that brought smiles to my face. Like, I don't think there will really it, that one. And the ad campaign that we ran for like four hours along with that I man, Matt Booth and, and the team at Davidoff, whoever worked on it with him, um, you know Val who is no longer with Tabitoff, like they killed it and um I wish we lived in a world where that was okay I wish we lived in a world like the, the beer industry where you know there's a little bit of regulation but they're much more uh, allowed to have you know snickers type marketing things like that on their their labels we don't and um you know that that's the the world that we live in not the world that I chose
0: in the world and, the, and I think things have changed from but like maybe on the metaverse Yeah, maybe in a minute. But things have changed. I think the narrative's changed a lot. There's a lot more focus. I mean, even back with Uncle Lee, the focus wasn't quite as much as I think now it's been. Um, And and, we know we know the companies that are doing that are doing this and continue to do this. And they're 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 small releases, and you know, but but they're getting they're they're what I call Facebook cigars. They get attention, or they're YouTube cigars. They get attention. So
2: I think it's changed a lot. Yeah, but the issue is, and, and, you know, I think it's in that, that editorial, is that it doesn't matter that, you know, it's 200 cigars that Ezra Zion sold, you know, through its own website. All it takes is one screenshot that shows up at some sort of, you know, that somebody gets a hold of, and all of a sudden it gets in front of a legislator. And then the argument that it's, you know, a bunch of old dudes sitting around drinking whiskey, smoking padrones and macanudos that goes away when you show a picture of some of this packaging that you know you and i don't and, and i'm sure aaron to some degree don't doesn't particularly care for like all takes is one um and that that's the really unfortunate part because 99 percent of the cigar releases you know don't come close to crossing a line or getting near the line mm-hmm. but it, it unfortunately it doesn't work that way yeah by the way charlie i got a I
0: just got a message from my wife and i normally don't do this during the show but My wife uh, just applauded you for your sample policy, and she says it it must get expensive too. So I have a feeling she's going to be telling me to raise uh, advertising rates now. (laughs) She controls the budget for everything I do with the cigar group, so it's rare that she's ever tuned into a show and commented to me on something. So,
2: well, it is the 250th show, so exactly, (laughs) exactly. Moments.
0: There you go. There you go. Uh, Did you think too that like I'm just kind of curious, and I don't know how you want to comment on this, right? But do you think Provada like tried to just turn this? into all about them in terms of like when you wrote that article they they brian almost took it like personally and and i didn't think that was the case at all that it was but apparently he tried to turn it into his own narrative did you you kind of feel that when that happened because he gave you a lot of pushback
2: yeah i mean look brian had done a deer half wheel video before that i think there had been a couple of them i no one will probably ever believe me i i I watched like three minutes of one of them and two minutes, and another one. And it's like, I know where this is going. He is, you know, the the frustrating part I think I have with Brian is there are so many admirable traits that he's got I agree. from the outside I, looking in. I agree. That has made Pravada what it is. Yeah. And, you know, he's he's killed it compared to his competitors yeah. when it comes to building, um, you know, that direct to consumer subscription model. And then, you know, even going out and adding the LCA portion where, you know, he's, he's added a, a you know, a, a parallel business to the, the DTC subscription model, um, which is very difficult to do. Um, and, you know, one of the things that he's really, really good at is the, you know, sort of uh, the community um, feel, you know, where you get your consumers to feel like they are invested in these brands and, you know, regardless of whether or not you think that the consumers are invested in the brands or you think that it's just marketing and, you know, it is what it is. um, And there are plenty of people at business schools around the world that are, you know, debating this, uh, regardless of your opinions on that, it's extremely successful. um, And he's been very, very good at it. It's something that I don't think I can ever do. um, But, you know, the response was pretty predictable. Like I, you know, it was not surprising and, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if all of a sudden there's another half wheel, you know, dedicated YouTube video from Pravada.
0: even though he said he's Um, never,
2: he's never reading half wheel again. Right. (laughs) So I, you know, I I don't, I don't, don't, once again, like I, I read a lot of articles and put my name on and put them on the internet. Like I know better than to (laughs) get emotionally invested in them. Good Um, job. Yeah. Good job. I agree with you on that. Yeah. I just, it, it wouldn't, regardless of who it is, whether it's, brian or a cigar company or a retailer or you know well like it just there's always going to be somebody else that's got an issue and um you know as long as i can go to sleep at night and wake up in the morning and you know find a typo and go about my day I, i'll keep doing it until it doesn't work i guess no uh, good yeah
0: good job all right Aaron, i'm gonna jump to this i'm gonna skip one question i think we'll hit these two next sure uh, all right so we talked about so charlie pca um you've been you've been critical of them um uh, you've been critical of the organization you've been critical to show at um the show where do you think the pca kind of stand and i don't think you've been this i think you've tried to obviously be constructive as you know on things too especially this past year but what's your what's kind of your assessment and pulse of pca
2: where things are as them as an organization and a trade show right now well, thank you for recognizing the, the attempt to be constructive. It certainly is something that I've made a dedicated effort after looking back and reading some stuff that I'd previously written, decided that, you know, um, there was a slightly better approach, in my opinion, and maybe there's a better one. I don't know. I mean, the, the PCA is... uh. I don't know what they're doing, and that's kind of the problem, I think, at this point. Um, you know, the trade show is is its own animal. But the part that I really wonder is like, okay, let's let's accept that they run a trade show and let's not debate about whether or not the trade show is a good place or a bad place or heading in the right direction or whatever. Let's just say the trade show is in and of itself in its own little island. Outside of that, I really wonder like what what they are doing and, you know, they hosted a policy summit, which I think is something that they should be doing yep. multiple times a year. And like, that's a step in the right direction. I don't know what it, like, does it lead to anything or is it just a way for them to say we did something? That is a question. They're, you know, the lack of ability on their end to, to support the most recent set of litigation is concerning because it's like, a, that that's one of the things that, you know, you hear people say that the PCA is doing and had been doing um, up until, you know, sort of recently where they, they, the CRA did it, you know, in terms of writing checks uh, to Michael Edney, the CRA did it themselves, the CAA and the PCA at varying levels from what I understand also contributed to some of that stuff, but, you know, not at the same levels that the PCA had been doing three or four years ago. Right. Um, and I just wonder, I mean, I, it's it's one of those things of like, you know, are they, what are they doing to help retailers on a day-to-day basis? Like I get, you know, as I'm sure you do, we get some emails from the PCA. I don't think that I would find them to be particularly useful as a retailer. You know, there's the PCA magazine, which I don't know what that's doing um, in terms of, you know, like I don't, it, there are some helpful things in the PCA magazine. I don't know how many people are reading it um, and, you know, taking things from the PCA magazine and using it to help their stores out. Um and so that's the the sort of I think the part where I'm more interested these days. Um the trade show is going to go how it's gonna go, and if the trade show doesn't work, then that's probably the end of the PCA from a financial standpoint. But um I really do wonder about the sort of day-to-day non-trade show related stuff, what impact the PCA is having because it's very, very difficult to quantify. And you know, I think I'm inherently skeptical. Um and and so I I have a lot of questions. All right, so there's kind Not a lot of questions. I think I have one big question, which is like, what's the impact, and it's tough to find answers.
0: Oh, I I understand. Now, I'm going to ask about the CRA because this is one I think is going to tie back into some of the stuff you're saying. Because I've been very critical of the CRA the last couple of years in terms of what are they doing, right? Um, And um, I mean, how well do you think the CRA has done their job in the last year? Because I have a lot to say on that. I, I just think they've
2: well, they've lost themselves. I, I imagine that you and I have a different opinion about what the CRA is. So I'll say what I think the CRA has been, and then okay, fair you enough, say what you think the CRA has been. Yeah, I don't, and have not for a very long time, thought of the CRA as a consumer organization. I think that the CRA, at one point in time, you know, when it was being founded, that was part of what they were trying to sell themselves to do, and they for however many years they tried to get consumers to sign up and whatnot, but, you know, they, they tried to be like, we're going to be the NRA for the cigar business and get a whole bunch of consumers. And then we got consumers who are going to vote on cigar issues and we'll have some power that way. That didn't really ever seem to come to fruition. Um, I think that's a very expensive endeavor. The NRA has been extremely successful in doing what they've done, but they're sort of an outlier compared to like, is there a, you know i know there's like a corvette association owner there's porsche club or whatever uh of america but like you know there's not a lot of products that have like consumer groups attached to them um you know like is there a bourbon drinkers rights association of america like does that alcoholics exist alcoholics anonymous uh I, I, yeah Does <laughs> a cigar um, Star- <laughs> many- mobile lounge association We've yeah, heard about like that one. Yeah. yeah. And like, yeah, I'm sure that that some of these things exist beyond Alcoholics yeah. Anonymous. Thank you very right. much there. But like, <laughs> you know, do they have any impact? I, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, in the alcohol world, they're doing just fine. So, you know, praise be to them. But uh, so I've never looked or I have not looked at the CRA as a consumer organization or as an organization that's trying to be a consumer organization for many years. I'm curious to know if you have the same thoughts on that.
0: So I agree with what you said, 100 percent, except that's not the front they still present. They still present themselves as that consumer organization. And, you know, a good example this year, um, and we can criticize Glenn Glenn Loop, right? When Glenn Loop was there, I think he did push the uh, terms of trying to raise like voting issues. And, And, you know, especially with the elections, right? He pushed the issue of being a cigar voter. They would put together election guides. I didn't see any of that this year from CRA or PCA, and if it was there, I couldn't find it. Like, okay, I understand that an election is—you may have bigger and more important issues than cigars in an election—but at least inform your constituents. This is where their vote, This is where their head is with some of the things that have happened. That, so, and they're not doing that, right? And uh, you know, you go on an Instagram page, and they're promoting. They're promoting brands or or they're promoting cigar aficionado auto articles, but they're not, they're not, they're not doing that. They're not doing anything to kind of really, I mean, there's plenty of Facebook groups and social groups that do that already, but they're not doing, like I think what, what they was the mantra that they said they were going to do, but they've never said that, you know, they've never said that models change. And look, I look at the board and the board is very, there's very competent people on the CRA board. So I'm not saying it, but I think it's the operate, the executions have been terrible in the last year with them.
2: Yeah. I mean, so because I don't look at the CRA as like a consumer is a, an organization that's primary task is trying to be a consumer. I, I think I've fall in a very different spot. Right. The CRA, um, from what I understand um, the most recent piece of litigation, which was very successful. We're still waiting to see the final outcome of it, but you know, in July, shortly before the PCA trade show, um, judge meta and uh, the District Court of Washington, D.C., so a federal court who's been overseeing the cigar lawsuit against FDA since it started in 2013. Um, he delivered the best win for the cigar industry. No today. questions. Um, the no cigar question. industry's had other wins. They, they got, you know, the warning labels got thrown out by Judge Meta and then thrown out by an appeals court as well um they've gotten delays for for other things like substantial equivalents, but this one is much more impactful i mean there is a very real and probably i think most people think the more likely scenario is or the most likely of the two scenarios is that uh you know fda is told to go back to to sort of square one when it comes to cigar regulation for premium cigars and that'll mean that fda won't be regulating premium cigars if that is the pathway that judge matter rules um you know, and, and like I said, many people, like most people I talk to think that's the most likely outcome. And even if that's not the outcome that he chooses, the, the other outcomes are all like basically go to step two. So, uh, you know, and we're on like step 27. So it's going to be regardless of which outcome or which, you know, whatever one it is, um, if it doesn't get overturned by an appeals court, like it's a substantial, monumental win. um, And. That was litigation, from what I understand, that the CRA paid Michael any for, um, who has the, been the lead attorney for uh, the cigar litigation um, for most of it, and that that was done sort of, I don't know if there was like a formal vote, but that the CRA was the one leading the charge there, and that other, the CAA... I don't really know what the PCA's position was on it, but, you know, the, the CA didn't think that that was a good idea. That they didn't think it would be successful and that it it would be a financial waste. So in that front, like, you know, you got to stand up and, you know, give the CRA a bunch of praise because those companies, uh, the, the board member companies, there are, I think, 12 of them, roughly. Um, they were the ones that paid for it. And without them, Um, It doesn't sound like that litigation would have happened and be in a very different place and and heading into a a much worse place. So from that aspect, it's very, very difficult to criticize the CRA in my mind. Um, You know, I I think that they're going through some changes. They've not had an executive director since Glenn Luke um, ended his tenure there. Um, I know they were close to hiring someone and and I don't know exactly why they didn't. They they had a candidate they really liked from what I understand and, and that didn't work out for whatever reason um but uh yeah you know i think they're trying to make some changes i know that for example the cra uh freedom sampler packs so the the 10 cigar sampler packs that they sell to stores to try to you know the, the cigar companies that are cra members donate cigars um the stores sell them and then those proceeds go back to the cra for example those packs have not included a cra membership recently and that's because the cra was trying to overhaul its consumer program and I think they've made some progress there. If you go to the CRA website, it looks like it's a very different looking website. It they look improved like that. They did um, And I get the sense that, you know, that at some point there are plans to try to start the consumer advocacy stuff back up. I get the feeling, though, that that is, you know, probably not something that has much uh, success in the long term, even if they make all the right decisions. But I think it's going to be a real uphill battle to try to get Enough consumers involved, and then to get it to be some sort of voting block, you know, even if it's a hundredth of what the NRA is, that would be a, a very, very tall task, in my opinion. Absolutely, I do
0: know that they're trying to restart the ambassador program. I, I, I was an ambassador. I'm, I'm not going to be continuing on. It's just a time thing, and I have other things to do. But yeah, they um, maybe you can host I, the
2: CRA podcast.
0: <laughs> I'm sure one's coming. I'm sure one's coming. Yeah, um, but
2: like that's the stuff they probably should be doing, right? But that's like, what they, they should, be doing. should But They, uh, they probably it, should be having ways like that to interact with consumers. They just don't, I don't think they have a, like I said, I think they need, they need to
0: have someone in the executive director role too. I, they, they haven't had that. And I think that has hurt them. Because uh, it's yeah, too, I mean it's you've too got, much years.
2: You had Karen Smith, who most people in the cigar industry have never heard of. She was running it. She's got, you know, I, I think Karen is probably the smartest person in the cigar industry. You got yep. a lot of other things to be doing. You know, Robbie Levine from action is now back as the, you know, the head of the board. And that was sort of a, you know, Robbie told me, he was like, I told them whatever you need. And then they were like, great. You're going to be in charge of the board now. And he was like, man, I should have put a caveat that that was the one thing that I wasn't. I want to
0: do. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting with that. All right. Uh, before we, a couple of things before the, we'll take the break. I said, this was the longest segment. Um, we were talking earlier about limited editions and that was really how you know half wheel half wheel started out you know the roots of half wheel go back to you know pre-release and limited editions but in particular limited editions um what do you think now the state of limited editions do you think this is it's is it oversaturated at this point
2: i don't know i mean maybe maybe not i don't know what the like certainly the number of new cigars that have shipped in the last uh, four months seems like it's that that is a just a completely different level that you know i've not really been accustomed to since 2016 um but i think limited editions are in a lot of ways easier for companies to sort of manage um if i was running a cigar company that was sort of gonna dabble in that space i i think i would be much more interested in doing limited editions um than trying to come out with you know, if the option is I have this blend that I like, make it a limited edition versus make it a regular production line, I think I would more often than not choose to make it a limited edition, see how it does. And then maybe it becomes a regular production line, particularly right now in a world where there's a whole bunch of supply chain issues and production issues, particularly with boxes, which is always an issue, but is you it's know, sort of a unique issue the last couple of years. And that, that really hasn't changed from what I gather. You know, it's just easier to be like, okay, we need... 30,000 boxes at once versus, or, you know, kind of, in, we just need one run of 30,000 boxes to show up versus we're going to need 5,000 boxes a month, you know, for the foreseeable future. Um, and you don't know if that cigar is going to have any legs 10 months later. It, it seems like that would be easier, but, you know, I, I don't know. I agree.
0: Because if you, I, like, I actually do like that approach because if you, if you, you, with a limited edition, you don't have to put as much marketing in at least up front. So if, if the limited edition bombs, you know, then you didn't lose that marketing dollars. But then if you decide to take it regular production, you can put more marketing in at that point
2: to do it. So I, that that I do agree with that approach. At that, yeah, and I mean I I just look at it as like a you know it's a little taster, right? Like you can go figure out if this cigar has actually got legs. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I, we've seen companies use the TAA for that, and, and you know certainly like yeah. La is a good example. I think of that. Where they've put and CLE's done it too a few times. They'll put something out there. Yeah, to, I mean, I look yeah. at
2: like the two new Rocky Patel releases that ship this week. The Edge 20th anniversary, I do not have concerns about that selling. I feel like that's probably gonna be a, a good seller for Rocky. Yep. Yep. DBS, I don't know. You know, Rocky, they got a, a one of the largest sales forces in the country, and you know, um a, a marketing team that seems to be doing, you know, a great job on social media. Um, and you know, they, they have marketing dollars spent in a whole bunch of places and they're doing constant events and you got Nish and Nimish and Rocky on the road and all sorts of things. But like, you know, I'm sure they feel very confident that edge is going to sell. And obviously they've, they've already taken orders for both these cigars. So they have, you know, some metrics, but like maybe DBS works, maybe it doesn't work. And if it's a limited edition, you make 150,000 of them, you would know you'd be able to get some of that feedback before you commit to putting a million and a half cigars in the production pipeline. And, um, you know, I don't work at Rocky Patel, so I don't know how those concerns get discussed, but it seems like there is at least some logical sense in my mind that, that there is some benefit of limited editions beyond telling people, Oh, we only had so much wrapper to make 5,000, you know, master cases and blah, 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 blah. blah."
0: And then we found it. Yeah. Then we can do it. Yeah. Yeah, So I agree. All right. Um, this is, we're going to get to a couple of fun questions and we'll, we'll go back to some industry questions. So, um, before we go to break, this is our cattle baron steak question at a night, Charlie, I want to know your favorite steakhouse to go to.
2: Boy, I mean, I think I live in the, the steakhouse capital. I know people in St. Louis and Chicago would tell me otherwise, but, um, there is a steakhouse that is this way. It's less than a half a mile, like slightly at an angle right outside of our office, uh, a couple blocks away called town hearth i always tell people it's the steakhouse i want to be when i grow up um the truth of the matter here is in dallas we've got you know we've we probably have more than 100 steakhouses in dallas fort worth sure. many of them are very good but the reality is look they, they buy their meat from the same three or four places um and some of them dry age some of them wet age um but you know it, at the end of the day it's kind of all the same stuff uh the thing i really like about town hearth is and the reason why i say it's the steakhouse i want to be when i grow up It's just a funky vibe. They've got uh, in the dining room, they've got a yellow like exploratory submarine. So like a one person, two person submarine inside of a fish tank. They've got a modified vintage Ducati on the menu. Um, They've got a little MG that's outside the kitchen. Uh, They've got one of the only highball machines in America, um, which are things that are uh, much more common in Japan. They've got a great whiskey selection. Uh, They do great sides. They just opened up a new place I've not been to a couple weeks ago called Brass Ram, which is more of their own to prime rib houses. So that's uh, my favorite steakhouse, um, you know, here in Dallas, um, just because it's, you know, we have, I mean, in a three mile radius, there are probably 20, 30 super high end steakhouses or what would be considered high end steakhouse. Um, And some of them are local Chain. Some of them are one off places. We've got uh, Salt Bay's got a restaurant that I refuse to go to. You know, down here, we've got Nick and Sam's, which is a you know, Dallas sort of institution. You know, we've got every steakhouse you can think of, more or less, that's, you know, in more than one city here. And to me, they all kind of taste the same. What about you guys? You know, um, I'll, I'll go
0: first. If you come to Charlotte, this is a chain, so you might have seen it, but Sullivan's is pretty good. Sullivan's got a little bit of the John L. Sullivan vibe of of boxing in it. That's kind of what it has. Um, A solid steakhouse to get uh, great service. Uh, You know, I I think it's one of the best experiences to to go. Um, If you like cigars, as an outdoor area, you can smoke there if you want. If that's your thing, if you don't, going indoors is great. Um, So I tend to, I try to go there um, a couple times a year. I haven't been there this year, but it's that's my place. I like to go to.
1: Yeah, Chicago Chop House for me. Just a, a nice nice vibe in there, great service, good steaks. I mean, I don't get to go very often, but when I'm in Chicago, it's definitely one stop I always make.
0: Yeah, and no, I heard good ribeye. I'm a I'm a big ribeye guy, so um, you know the the bone the bone in ribeye is always something I like as well. Um, I don't think there's one in Texas. I was just looking at the website here, but there's not one. In, I mean, I think the closest one to you, Charlie, is probably. Uh to Baton Rouge probably.
2: So well, the ways fun away. Fun facts: Not going to go to Baton Rouge to go eat steak. Um, one of the issues I have though is like whenever I'm out traveling, particularly for half wheel stuff, and people are like, "Let's go to a steakhouse," and I'm just like, "No, let's not." Like,
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I get, to get to that a too.
2: Steakhouse. I go to a different steakhouse every day for three months probably before I went to the same steakhouse twice yep. in Dallas.
0: Yeah. No, but you got, you're in like a, a Mecca.
2: I mean, your office is what's closer one to downtown. In, you're closer to downtown yeah, now, right? Yeah. The ball is like two miles that way. Yeah. Uh, what's uh, the one in Raleigh? It's like Angus barn.
0: Angus barn. That's a, that's a good place. I don't think it's the best steakhouse, but it's a little more of an experience type place I'd say.
2: Yeah, I know it's an experience. Yeah. Um, but like for me at this point, like that's kind of like, uh, you know, Patrick and I go back and forth uh, anytime the two of us are in Tampa, he loves burns. Um, and for those of you that are unfamiliar with Burns, Burns is a Tampa institution. It's got one of the largest wine lists, uh, probably in the world, but certainly in America, it's got just an absurd wine collection. The thing to do at Burns, there are two things, or three things. Uh, number one, you should try if you, you know, if you're into wine or even if you're just like, not like me and you, you're indifferent, uh, Burns has their wine list and wine cellar is multiple buildings worth. Of warehouses. So the, the thing to do there is you can order bottles of wine like from your birth year, and you can get like a $27 bottle of wine that's 45 years old. Just like a you know grocery store California wine that they bought 45 years ago. So that's a cool thing to do because there's very few places you could do that. The second thing to do at Burns is to go take a tour of the kitchen, because that's also not something that most steakhouses offer. And Burns does that, and they do a great job showing you the kitchen and a little sort of their high end showcase wine cellar. Um, and then the other thing is they have the dessert room, which you used to be able to smoke in my grandfather many, many years ago when I first started getting into cigars, told me about the only cigar that he smoked basically in the last 35 years. And that was when he was at Burns in the dessert room, um, which still exists and it's a full place. They, they have a live piano player and you sit in these like cellar themed boots and stuff. Um, But we always go back and forth because I don't think the food it burns, like, it's good. I just don't find it to be excellent. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't know if I want to go eat at a steakhouse in Tampa. Like, I'd rather just go get fat at Columbia. But, you know, he loves it. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But at least with Burns and Angus Barn to some degree, like, and, you know, Golden Steer in Las Vegas, like, at least there, it's like an experience. And so I'm willing to do the experience part, even if I maybe don't think the culinary is the best option, the absolute best option of the night. But um, it's just tough. Like, if anyone's like, let's go to the Capitol Grill. It's like, man.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's good. There's nothing wrong with it. But yeah. uh, I'd rather go eat something that I can't get here in
1: Dallas. what a person. Yeah.
2: But I'll say this. The Sullivan's is right near where you
0: were tailgating for Wake Forest. So it's it's, it's not, uh, you know, it's close. No, no, w-
2: no, I'm aware. Like, I passed yeah. by it. I've been to uh, Sullivan's. Um, okay. But if you're in Winston Salem, you got to go to Pulliam's. You got to get some hot dogs. Uh, oh yeah. You got to go go visit Real Q, as my my good friend Landon oh. Balcom says. The artist formerly known as uh, now he's going to kill me. I forget the uh, the old name of that barbecue restaurant. But uh, Pulliam's is like, if you're in Winston Salem, you got you just got to go to this hot dog place that looks like it's about to fall down, and <laughs> it's got yeah. some of the best hot dogs I've ever had. Yeah. And a place that like. I don't know of a place like that here in Dallas, but if you do know of a place like that, please let me know. Red casings too. Fair enough. I'll have to look and see. All right. So let me do a
0: a couple of sponsors. Like I said, these will be shorter segments. So um, this was the long one here. Uh, Let me mention tailored smoke located in the heart of downtown Charlotte's epicenter and outside the Charlotte motor speedway in Concord, North Carolina. Tailored smoke is your one stop shop for tailored smoke experience. And by the way, one of the uh, tailored smokes actually, uh, with Flemings, uh, we'll deliver food over to Tailored Smoke, so you can they'll they'll bring your food into Tailored Smoke because they're they're right right next to each other. Uh, I want to mention Jerry Tobacco. The authentic Corojo leaf is one of the most robust and flavorful tobacco leaves out there. During the Golden Age of Swords, Cuba was leaf of choice to make some of the world's greatest cigars. Because it was one of the most challenging ones to cultivate, it fell out of favor by the 1990s. In the Hamastron Valley in Honduras, Julio Aroa took on the challenge of growing Corojo from the original seeds. and In 2000, he successfully reintroduced authentic Corojo back to the market. With over 50 years of experience in the tobacco business, from growing and curing tobacco to cigar production, the Jerry Tobacco Farm has been able to continue to deliver products to market with authentic Corojo. Now with Jerry Tobacco, Julio San Justo have brought their very own brand to market, each containing the authentic Corojo leaf. Aladino is available in a variety of blends, including the latest release, the Aladino Classic. Each represent the golden age of cigars from 1947 to 1961. They're available at your Oak retailer. Be sure to ask for Jerry Tobacco, a legacy that is tasted in every drawer. And by Corona Cigar Company. At Corona Cigar Company, they, take track and they are cigar fanatics just like you. That's why you'll find the best selection of the rarest and finest premium cigars available anywhere in the world. Plus, they have special limited edition cigars available exclusively to uh, Corona Cigar Company from companies such as Davidoff, Aganorsa Leaf, Drew Estate, and many more. You'll get the best cigar selection, the best customer service, and money-saving discount cigar prices. Don't just take their word for it. Forbes Magazine selected Corona Cigar Company, best of the web. Corona Cigar was voted a top five internet cigar retail by Smoke Magazine. Cigar Fischiano wrote, Corona Cigar Company, the largest best stock cigar shops in America. You can place an order online or visit one of their four Central Florida cigar superstars and cigar bars and see for yourself why. So Corona Cigar Company is the ultimate cigar experience. We're getting into our Alec Bradley Live True segment sponsored by Alec Bradley. Alec Bradley. Alec Bradley. Alec Bradley. Alec Bradley. Visit alecbrowley.com to find out more about their cigars. Live true. So, Charlie, this is, again, kind of a little away from the industry talk here, but I got three questions. Uh, actually, we, Aaron, you added one, too, so it's four, right?
1: Correct. Okay. Sorry, I was on mute.
0: No, that's okay. Um, so, Charlie, I'm going to ask you, uh, these are – I just want to know, they don't have to be the best. I'm not asking you to say they're the best of any of these. Who are your three favorite boxers of all time?
2: Of all time. Um, I mean, Golovkin, like when Golovkin showed up on the HBO scene, you know, back in the, you know, I don't know, eight, nine years ago, that was, yep. Oh yeah. That was something that was, that was different. Um, I really like enjoy watching Usyk, um, Alexander Usyk, the uh, one of the heavyweight champions right now, the lesser known of the two. He came up um, from cruiserweight and uh, hopefully he and Tyson Fury uh, will try to unify all four belts. Assuming Fury gets by Chisora on yep. Saturday. Big- um um- and I should be clear here, like I'm a new school boxing fan. So if you're hoping okay. for like a Lewis Frazier type thing, like this this is not yeah. <laughs> um, unfortunately out of my my league there, I understand that many of them are very good. I just I don't feel like I have the the great knowledge. Um not that I've like great boxing knowledge, but like I have very little of that knowledge. Um All right, Lomachenko, I mean like when Lomachenko's cooking, oh, like that yeah. footwork is just Absolutely. nothing else. Absolutely. Yeah. Ukrainians get two of the list, but uh, Golovkin, the Golovkin. The I remember that when Mac Tillarman called the Golovkin's first HBO fight, it was just like, Whoa, yeah, this dude's killing people with a jab, yeah, just, and looks like the nicest person in the world.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, and a good point. Good point.
2: All right, your three favorite Formula One drivers. Oh, that's that's a lot less interesting. Um
1: got <laughs> a better dance one next. Question. Aaron's going to be
2: arrowing me be better than that when you get to that. Yeah, like, <laughs> um, I mean, like I wasn't around for it, but you know, watching Senna drive, I mean, oh, like, he was great. God, he was like, great. Just, yeah. Just outrageous. He was great. Um I'm getting less and less of a fan of it, but watching Verstappen when he's in like when he's in ninth is just outrageous right now. Like, yeah, like you know what? Seeing seeing him, you know, for whatever reason, get out of position and then watching him like figuring out is he going to get back on the podium? You know, that's about as compelling as Formula One gets after halfway through the season these days. Um. I, I, I don't know if this is, like, a favorite. I always thought that Nico Holpenberg was, like, an, you know, an underrated talent and wish that he would have gotten some better seats. So maybe put him on the list. Uh, Formula 1 is just so tough because it's like, you know, if you have a good car, then you can be great. And if you have a mediocre car, it doesn't matter how good you are. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or if you drive for Ferrari, it doesn't matter because they'll just yeah. you know, find a way to fuck it up anyway.
0: <laughs> my company's actually sponsoring Ferrari.
2: <laughs> they just maybe you it. can be the new uh, the new principal.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. We got an opening. There you go. No, no, maybe my boss, he was involved with that more. Than me. I wasn't involved with that
2: piece at all. So
1: All you uh, need is uh, darker rims around your glasses, Coop. You'd be right in there.
2: <laughs> and also, you you just have to speak, like make it seem like you don't actually speak English. Yeah. Like, so just it, every yeah. opportunity speak Italian and yeah. then like halfway through the season be like, oh yeah, I actually can't yeah. speak English.
1: So. Yeah. I understood everything you said about me. <laughs> all right. Anna, I'll let you guys give this one. All right. So I was watching a, another uh, media show and that you were a guest on and I had learned something new about you on that show. So I want to know your now your three favorite NASCAR drivers.
2: Oh, I mean, it's Martin Truex Jr. all day long. Yes. Um, okay. Yeah, I like him. That is the current. Yeah, Coop's like go New Jersey. Um, yep, yep. So, uh, I mean, Trix is the, it's my sister and I, my sister and I got into NASCAR. She was home from college during COVID, the early parts of COVID. And we started watching NASCAR because there was nothing else to do. And my mother wanted to have dinner with us on Sundays. Um, and so, like, Trix was the driver we picked. Uh, so, I, you know, that it's going to be curious to see what happens when he retires because that could be any day now right um i enjoy daniel suarez like i think he's a lot of fun and you know the fact that he like brought out a taco to help do his burnout when he won his first race like that I, I was awesome. at, i was at
1: that race you were in
2: california for that
1: i am in california that's by local track ah. yeah
2: ah yeah no that was great um i mean he he may have bumped into Martin Church Jr. at the wrong time at, at Texas race last year. We'll I mean, be forgiven for that. but um, And as a kid, when I was like, uh, you know, because I watched NASCAR when I was like around 10 for a little while and then stopped watching it for probably 15 years and then picked it back up during the pandemic. Um, as a kid, I rooted for Jeff Gordon. Um, so... Oh, kid, Wow. <laughs> um, But yeah, I mean, it, it's basically just Martin Church Jr. I mean, like, uh, I feel yeah. like he embodies you know what i would like to be as a nascar mm-hmm. like he just does not give a fuck and
0: i like at him. the time uh, yeah. he doesn't seem like
2: yeah. he wants to be there yeah. but like <laughs> an absolutely incredible driver and what he did at furniture row um you know winning a championship at a team based out of colorado um in the modern era is absolutely insane and the the season that he put up that that race that he had at charlotte that year the Coca-Cola Six 600 like was not a fluky season which you a lot of times can get with champions and NASCAR given their current structure. But, uh, I enjoyed that coop. I went to, um, I saw Dale jr. Back over at North Wilkesboro. I went to the North Wilkesboro race that they had, oh, wow. um, and mm. a few months ago. Um, I don't think I'm going to go to the all-star race. Uh, but it was, it was cool to be back there at, you know, I, I had never seen a race there, but it was cool to like see North Wilkesboro come back. And, um, the traffic was insane. And, uh, it was, it was hilarious. There was, I don't think that there was like actually working electricity. I'm pretty sure everything was running off generators and putting like individual <laughs> lights. Um, there, the bathrooms, like the, the old bathrooms, the actual like physical bathrooms in North Wilkesboro at the time, my understanding is they're going to try to renovate some of the stuff for, yeah. uh, for the all-star race next year. But, uh, like you just walked in, there was no light. Like the light was the door that had been cracked open. Yeah. And you were just peeing on a wall. and hoping that 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 was where it was supposed to go um it was it was insane but uh it was cool it was weird to be at a race where like because there's no scoreboard there's no scoring column there's nothing so you like we didn't realize how like our plan was to depending on how things were going maybe to try to get off of our seats and get near the exit so that way we could avoid the traffic jam on the way out we had no idea that like it was the final lap and all of yeah. a sudden, you just start seeing like chaos, and and that was a cool experience. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, if you can make it to North Coast for the All Star race, like that'll be that'll be an experience. And my understanding is they're going to try to make it a like three day thing and and help it out. But it was cool. That's cool.
0: Yeah, I, I did get to see Martin Truex win the uh, Coca Cola Six Hundred a few years ago. So that was that was cool. not a fun race. Like that was
2: that was one of the most boring races of all time.
0: Oh, it was, it was my my boys were like miserable that night. I can tell you that. I and mean, they were older and they were miserable being there. Yeah,
2: yeah. They, the record that he set that night of leading the most laps in an after race, I don't yeah. think that that will ever be broken. No, I know. That was what
0: was so historic
2: about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the co six hundreds, 600. It's the longest race. And he led basically every lap.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a long race. It's night. and uh Yeah. Uh But yeah, that's, um, but I haven't been there since. Cause now we vacation in Florida a lot on
2: Memorial day weekend. So
1: I haven't been there since. Have you tried sim racing at all? Charlie?
2: No, I don't. I mean, I, I enjoy watching racing. Um, I don't know how good I would be at doing it. Um, But, uh, yeah, no, it's it's not for me. One of my buddies has, like, a a semi-decent sim rig, so Mm -hmm. he always invites me. Like, he's like, hey, if you're ever in town, like, come over and test it out. But, uh, I don't know. We'll see. Um, I'm really looking forward to, you know, if the trade show... The trade show, I think, is going to happen this year. I'd be surprised if it doesn't. But if it doesn't, um, and you're wondering where I'm at in the middle of June, I will be at Le Mans watching a modified NASCAR go around yeah. <laughs> yes. the 24. That right. is, like, it's just it, – it cannot get better for me than, than that trade show. And, and hopefully Le Mans competitive and Ferrari will be back and a whole bunch of other people. Right. Um, so looking forward to that.
0: All right. All right, last question of this segment. If you care, no. who will win the FIFA World Cup?
2: I have not watched, I'd uh, say that. I think I watched six minutes of the first game.
0: Okay. That's your I don't know. <laughs> Aaron's happy. About I'm boycotting. That. Car wins. Car wins.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the. All right. I that's my preference. Like, there's a, there's a lot of reasons. I mean, I guess, I, you know, like my father is probably like go root for Japan. So I, I guess they look great today. Story, but I, they looked great today. I, I don't know. I haven't seen any of it. I haven't watched highlights. Yeah. Um, you know. Just uh, if you're a Borussia e. Dortmund player, please don't get injured. Which is good news because <laughs> Germany got knocked out today. So They uh, got knocked anyway. out, yeah. I wasn't
0: surprised they got knocked no, out. Just, they looked older, but I was surprised. I should say I was surprised, but I wasn't surprised. They just looked like an old, slow team.
2: Yeah, I don't, like I said, I haven't seen any of it. They should be a lot better. But uh, my main concern as a Borussia e. Dortmund fan is uh, Gio Reyna come back healthy. Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah. We shall see. All right. All right. Let me just do one round, one more round of sponsors, and we'll get into the last segment. Um, I said this would these will be quicker. Uh, Let's talk about um, JC Newman cigar company. Founded in 1895 by Julius Caesar Newman, JC Newman cigar company is the oldest family-owned premium cigar maker in America. For four generations and 127 years, J.C. Newman has been handcrafting many of the world's finest cigars. J.C. Co- Newman is headquartered in an iconic 112-year-old cigar factory in the Ybor City National Historic Landmark District of Tampa, Florida. At the factory known as Elver Hole, J.C. Newman rolls premium cigars by hand and hand-operated antique machines, including the American. The J.C. Newman's pencil factory is the second largest in Nicaragua, and it's where Brickhouse, Pearl of Mar, El Baton, Quorum, and Yagoa cigars are hand-rolled. Jamin Sue Newman's Diamond Crown, Maximus, Julius Caesar, and Black Diamond Cigars are handmade by Tobacco A. Fuente in the Dominican Republic. With its longtime partners, the Arturo Fuente family, and the Newman's founded the Cigar Family Charitable Foundation, which supports uh, low income families in the Dominican Republic with education, healthcare, vocational training, and clean water. Visit jcnewman.com to learn more. And by Casa Cuevas Cigars, the Cuevas family has five generations of experience in cigar making. For many years, they have manufactured cigars from many industry leaders out of the Las Lavas factory in the Dominican Republic. Now, the Cuevas family has brought their very own brand to market with Casa Cuevas cigars. Try the Casa Cuevas line, the uh, Connecticut, Abano Maduro, as well as Mandaria, uh, Patrimonio, and the uh, uh, Sanguin Nueva line, and Cuevas Rule Observer. If they don't carry it, be sure to ask your local retailer for Casa Cuevas cigars. Casa Cuevas cigars from our casa to yours. And finally, we're going to get into our deliberation, industry deliberation segment, sponsored by Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. There is no deliberation when it comes to Dumbarton's track record since launching in 2015. This has included seven consecutive top three appearances on the half-wheel consensus, including number one cigar of the year in 2020 with the Mi Corita Tricky Traca. You can visit DTC Cigars and find a purveyor that carries the brands of Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. So, Charlie, just before we kind of get into this, you know, I remember there's two things you told me about Pro Cigar that you gave me some really, really good advice on. That you have to see and i I can't agree with you more one was I remember you told me about the race factory the race tour, which was one of the best tours I went on, and when I did this year, I did get to finally go to uh uh c f c f and i like i I can't agree with you more you can't help but be blown away when you go there that was an incredible experience highlight of my trip for sure
2: yeah c f c f is um it's a special place it's uh it's a a very emotionally intense day yeah um but like you know we've given some money to them and you know we buy cigars from puente and newman which you know help support the the charity and and from prometheus as well and and other people along the way but uh you know you, you feel a sense of pride that you know cigar companies decided to give back and they gave back not only in like a meaningful way, but they gave back in such a an encompassing commitment that, like, undoubtedly changes not just the lives of the student that's there, but the family of the student and the future family of the students and and the rest of it. And it's, um, you know, I tell people all the time that it's the one thing. You know, Pro Cigar, Patrick, and I when we were there. We always try to do different things so that we can sort of spread the coverage around. Right. The one exception is CFCF. Yeah. If you can go, you should go. And, you know, going back and seeing some of the kids sort of grow up and seeing familiar faces, and it's, it's unlike anything else. And, and hopefully I can go back at some point and see, uh, see some of the new stuff they've done in the last couple of years. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great uh, – I, I had to – I lucked
0: out. I got to drive with Carlito over there, and he was showing me – he was telling me the history of the whole area. And how it used to be a very dangerous area, a very, you know, impoverished area. And he's, and he's pointing out all these things to me uh, on top of that. And then when you go see that, what, what has happened, how the area has changed, it's it, 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 it's amazing. I mean, you just can't help uh, but be, you know, you, there's no cigar, you don't smoke cigars there, but you can't help but be moved by that thing. So I agree. Yeah, it's,
2: it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. And um, if you're going to Pro Cigar this year and you're listening to this, if the Fuente CFCF trip is not sold out, Not to be confused with the factory, but the CFCF trip, uh, highly recommend signing up for that. I don't, if you're disappointed going to that, then I have questions. There's no hope. Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. All right. Some quick hits here. We'll try to keep them quick. Any thoughts on, so recently this was a big split. Um, Miami Cigar and La Aurora, uh, 30 plus year relationship. Um, Any thoughts on
1: that?
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's not entirely surprising, you know. Once Miami a couple of years ago when they they reduced their sales staff, and at that time they had Toscano and La Aurora, um, you know, there was a lot of questions about the future of that. And you know, Jason Wood, to his credit, was always Jason Wood of Miami Cigar Company was always very like upfront of like this is a business decision, one that we looked at, we looked at again, we looked at again, and we we sort of felt like that you know we have a fiduciary responsibility to do what's best for the business and. It may not be what's best for our partners and certainly for some of the team members that they they were forced to as part of that decision to lay off. But um, yeah, it's it's not surprising. I'm curious to see, you know, La Aurora seems like every year or so there's a new initiative. And, you know, this is obviously a pretty grandiose one for the U.S. But um, we'll see. And, and obviously some familiar names, um, yeah. you know, both with La Aurora and also some you know, familiar SDG names coming back to, to leave that home. So I'll be curious to see what that turns into. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, not surprising, but certainly something to watch. What did you
0: think about when La Aurora went direct for a while? Like when they were going direct, did you think that worked?
2: Probably not.
0: Yeah. I thought it was, I I wasn't against the idea, but I thought it was poorly executed in my opinion. It just didn't seem like they executed that well.
2: I mean, I just, I think, um, I I think La Aurora needs footing they need something to fall back on in the u.s and i don't know what that is at the moment um it's you know it's not like they make bad cigars they make a lot of really good cigars you know i think i probably like Lauer wars portfolio more than the average consumer does i do too but yeah, i like them a lot um you know it's it's a bit all over the place and at times it's very confusing because of the naming conventions and I think it's a little bit tough for them in the Dominican Republic to sort of conceptualize things because they look at it from their perspective in the DR, where La Aurora and the Leon family is is in a has a very different standing in relationship to that country and to the cigar smokers there than it will ever have in the US. And so, you know, I think that makes it tough. And the other part of it is, and, and I don't think there's any shame in this, like, more power to you, like La Aurora is a bit different than a lot of other cigar companies. Um, you know, the family that owns La Aurora does not live and die by that cigar brand. That is a passion project. I'm sure that's profitable, yep. but it's a passion project. That is a a legacy project for that family. They have plenty of other business interests. And you know, it's the the line about, you know, when you sleep on satin sheets, it's a little bit hard to get up for for fights. Like there's I think a little bit of that too where, you know, they have the luxury of not being forced to to worry about where the next paycheck comes from. And sometimes that can, you know, uh sometimes you need that to light, you know, fire underneath you. And, and that's realistically probably not the financial motives are probably never going to be there for, you know, the Leon family with La Aurora just because of how successful they've been in any number of other industries, including successful in non premium cigar related cigar businesses. That, that's true. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. Now when we were, when we were
0: starting out 12 years ago, Aaron, you weren't quite there. You you started a little later. But you go back twelve years ago, La Aurora was the one of the companies that was all over social media. They were engaging with online media. And now I look at it today and it's the complete opposite. I don't even see cigar media go to that booth anymore. What went wrong, you think? Like why did what changed for them? Because it's now well, it's like it's complete opposite now today.
2: You know, I think it starts with Jose Blanco. Um Yeah. It's true. Excuse me. Um, in a number of different ways, you know. First of all, Jose is on Twitter and is on Twitter and has been on Twitter in a manner that I don't think any other cigar maker. I've sat with him days.
0: and <laughs> hear his phone going off all day.
2: Yeah, but like <laughs> Jose true. has been tweeting twenty-five times a day for longer than I've known Jose. I've known Jose for twelve years. Yeah. Um. So you know, like, yeah. Turns out, unfortunately for for both Jose and I, Twitter was not the the social media network that you should have you know put your eggs in. Like it would have been better to be on Facebook. Um, but uh, you know, next to our Zoom screen here, like guess what's up? It's a Twitter client, not a yeah. Facebook uh, page on my end. So like, yeah. I like I've liked Twitter. I really hope I can continue to like Twitter. Um, but Jose's you know commitment to that was different. The other part with Jose is I think that. You know, Jose's and Guillermo's relationship, Guillermo Leon, the owner of La Aurora, you know, they were such close friends and and hopefully they still are friends. But like it was a it motivated Guillermo to be involved in La Aurora in a way that I don't think has existed. I'm sure that there are other motivations for Guillermo. There, There are. It's not to say that he's not interested in the business, but I think having Jose there on a day to day basis in Santiago in the factory really kept Guillermo engaged in a way that I don't think has been the same since Jose's departure. And right, in fairness, yeah. Guillermo's got a family. He's got a number of other businesses, many of which are larger than La Aurora. Um, so, you know, some of that may have just been like he needed at some point to move on from or, or to reduce the amount of time he was investing in La Aurora. Um, and, you know, the other part of it is that I sort of alluded to much earlier on in our conversation, the Juristate media machine wasn't going at that point. No, you know, it wasn't. That was a a time in which, you know, to get into the Davidoff booth as a uh, somebody that wasn't in print media was difficult. To get into the Altadas booth as someone that wasn't in print yep. media was a massive uphill challenge. Yep. To get into the Fuente booth as someone that wasn't in print media was oh, a very a, yep. basically oh, yeah. a non-starter. Oh yeah. Like, you know, one of the advantages that Hatfield had was that. Because I decided to write about news so much at the Cigar Feed from 2010 into you know when we launched after in January of 2012, I had been able to get access to some of these companies that had basically been shut off from the rest of the blogosphere because the rest of the blogosphere was interested in reviewing cigars more than they were in writing news stories. Right, and so I had a relationship with Fuente. I think at a time when very few, if no other, bloggers had a relationship with yep. Fuente. Altatis, you know there was I'm sure you remember it there were trade shows where you just couldn't get a meeting with Altatus if you were in the blog oh, yeah. world oh yeah, yeah um so I think that competition for recognizing that there was other media beyond the magazines that existed I think that also hurt because La, La embraced that in a way that was completely different they were the outlier. Yeah. La Roar and Miami Cigar Company had media trips. They had multiple. I mean, yep. a couple of years, they had back-to-back weeks of factory visits for media. Oh, yeah, um, I remember that. And, you know, now, I mean, I don't know what's taken place since COVID, but, like, you know, Drew Estate was like, cool, we'll do that, too. And General Cigar Company had a media trip, and, yep. you know, plenty of other ones have. And, and, you know, even, like, we've talked about Pro Cigar a little bit, like, you know, Pro Cigar was not a place where if you wanted to be a media member to go to Pro Cigar, you were basically in print media or you were uh, Doc Diaz of Stogie Fresh. Um, yeah, true. And that was, that was the extent of it. And so yeah. I think that that competition has sort of taken away this big advantage that Larwar had circa 2010, 2009. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's like the cigars have gotten worse. Um, I think it's just that, that there's just been so many of these other factors um, but I, I do think it would be, in you know, disingenuous to to not mention Jose Blanco. I think he was a big part of it in many different ways. He
0: was. I agree. And you look at the opposite side with Fuente. When he went to Fuente, I think he played a key role into opening Fuente up for a lot of us. Uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't have a relationship with them till he went there.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, you know, with Fuente though, I, I think that Fuente was in a starting point that was just so different than. You know, if you're like, hey, name, name some companies that don't need marketing help. Yeah, uh, Padrone, Padron doesn't seem to need marketing help. Fuente doesn't seem to seem marketing no. help. Um, and so, you know, Jose going there was sort of just, a you know, another, another sort of tool in the, the arsenal for them. Agree.
0: I agree. All right. So that was, you know, Laura and Miami. I'd say a relatively, I want to say it was an amicable split. I don't think this was a. No, a I
2: can't imagine the next question that's coming.
0: Yeah. So, you know, the next question is uh crown heads and ace prime any thoughts on that
2: i hope i don't have to think about it anymore um yeah not Namical split um yeah i I don't i hope i don't know i hope hope i hope at the end of the day with all this doesn't matter who it is you could be somebody on you know, in the comment section of Half Wheel telling, you know, the internet that I'm the worst person in the world. Like, I, I just, I hope you're happy. Like, and I, I hope that, you know, on the Crown Heads, Ace Prime, Luciano side, that, you know, they can both be happy and and whatnot. I mean, it, it just, it seems pretty messy, though. And um, there was a couple weeks where a disproportionate amount of my time was being spent listening to the two sides tell sob stories about how they've been screwed over by the other one and um you know it's not to say that i don't care but i really wish that i was spending my time at cfcf hearing inspiring stories of people being better versus listening to somebody tell me about how awful another human being is yeah
0: yeah uh aaron and i actually decided we weren't participating in the book tour of the uh you know we, we did have Tim Osgin on. Tour? Book tour is like when you book a whole bunch of shows oh. and say the same thing. Yeah, over yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Right. So we, we yeah. did have Tim Osgenar on, but that wasn't the focus of the interview when we had that scheduled actually before all this went down. So, um, which was a very positive thing seeing. I got to meet Tim. I didn't know Tim. Uh, and that was a great, Neither did I. Yeah, he's a great guy.
2: Yeah, Tim is, Tim is such a unique one for me because Tim was leading the business, more or less. Yeah, as I was getting into it. And I I remember emailing him in like March or April of this year when we had heard a rumor that he was coming back in a more pronounced way. Um, And I was like, hey, I wrote an email that like I wasn't really proud of because I, I didn't describe things accurately as I wanted to. And I was like, hey, I kind of feel like I know you because I've written a lot about you in a specific context. And I've heard all these stories from people over the years about you. And yet we never met because you were walking out the door when I was walking into it, you know, on the other side of the building. And um, it was great to finally meet him and and get to hang out with him in Vegas. And, you know, I look forward to to meeting, you know, getting to to know him more and, and, you know, seeing how he does and and things like that. But um, the Tim part of it in the Ace Prime Luciano Crown Heads battle is a bit weird because, you know, I was telling people at one point that, I felt like the Luciano side and the Ace or in the crown head side, they couldn't agree on what day of the week it was. And yet amongst the very few things that they agreed on, it was that like the problems were not relatively new that they had been, they had both sides had identified problems many, many months ago. And it was like, man, if I'm Tim, why on earth would I let my cigar, like, you know, why would I have my cigars made by this guy? You know, my business partners and John Huber and Mike Condor are also feuding with this dude. That was always a weird one. I mean, I can't, can you think of another time when a cigar company launched a cigar and then like two months later was like, now we're changing factories? Not of significance.
0: So, no. I mean, I know some that maybe switched in the first year, but not like, not a
2: high profile one like this. This was a high but it profile. it was like, it was like two months. Like, yeah. Yeah. Th- like that was, was in, in, in in fairness to Crown Heads, like, they also had some products that they said were being made at, at you know, Tobacco layer Pichardo. And and I understand that's the other part of it is there's, you know, depending that on the, whose side of the story you want to believe, there's Tobacco layer Pichardo might be a third party to all of this. Yeah,
0: I can tell you that is a fact. Um, that was, we heard that on the famous uh, press conference, the Saturday afternoon press conference. You
2: attended the press conference? I did. Yeah, I didn't. Was there anything insightful that came out in the... Uh press conference we, we we could talk offline uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk i'll off- say something I, i've mentioned you know yeah. um there's a, a journalist that covers mma his name is ariel hawani's the most prominent mma journalist there is and um and in some ways he reminds me a lot of you because he does these like epic four hour long video <laughs> shows with a whole bunch of interviews. Like that's, that's one of the things he's known for breaking news, but also like doing these, these, right. you know, very long shows, very good interviewer, um, you know, worked at ESPN and was and now left ESPN and back on his own. But uh, he was in the feud with a former MMA fighter turned podcaster slash comedian, whatever. And he was in this feud with this, this former MMA fighter uh Schwa- brendan Schwab, brendan oh, Shaw yeah and uh in the midst of this feud ariel delivers like the most insane rap battle takedown it wasn't rapping but it was like a, a old school you know east coast west coast rap battle takedown um like the most insane one i've seen since kendrick lamar dropped control i mean just a complete takedown of this dude and in the middle of it he mentions like how Brennan Schaub had been accusing MMA media of like basically being idiots and worthless. And he was like, what does it say about you that the people that have chosen to cover you in your career and your sport, that you think that those people are worthless? Like, what does it say about the choices that you've made that the people that dedicate their lives to to covering and promoting and, and writing about investigating your, you know, chosen line of work that you think that they're basically you know irrelevant and and worthless and i remember when the, the email about the press conference showed up and i was like man what does it say about us that the press conference is scheduled for saturday like
0: in the middle, in the middle of a philly's playoff run which was i didn't <laughs> consider that uh because i'm only <laughs> but that was big Flyers for me fans. yeah <laughs> But well, I, was I was like, like man, i like, tuned out at points. I'm going to be on. I told you, I'm very honest. I was half
2: tuned out at some point. in this because I was watching that game. But yeah. But that was like the initial reaction it was like, man, what does it say about me as a journalist who's committed to covering these types of things that we got to have a Saturday press conference about this? Yeah. Like and yeah. I was like, right, decide. I decide, you know, if something really big happens, I'll read about it from one of the people that was on the press conference and I'll send out some text messages and make some yeah. phone calls you'd have to validate
0: a lot of the stuff that was said that was the problem so then it was it was not but did anyone be... do
2: any reporting about it like no that was the thing that was like there that's was what not... led me to ask the question if there was anything insightful because it but was But there
0: like... wasn't new I was probably the only guy who does cigar news who was on that thing so and you and were would... watching a Phillies game so that... <laughs> <laughs> right i was Jokes but, on us. But, but it would be what would it be it would start being a he said she said type of thing
2: except uh... she wasn't
0: there Right, exactly. She, she wasn't there, exactly. So, uh, you know, if this thing yeah. ends up in, I don't know if, what's going to happen, but if this thing ends up in a court battle, that's a different story. But Hopefully it's not, there are
2: kangaroos involved.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully that doesn't happen. All right.
2: Uh, I've got a few more questions here. Um,
0: situation in Nicaragua and this potential embargo chatter. Any thoughts on that? <laughs> uh...
2: Patrick Reed killed the story. Great, great traffic driver for Uh, half-wheel. I don't think that the chances of cigars getting embargoed is very high. Um, I I don't think so either. Um, I'll I'll say this. uh, I'm not going to the Nicaraguan Cigar Festival because of my own personal, not concerns, but my own personal ethical issues with Nicaragua's treatment of of journalists um, in the last few years. Uh, I think there are a lot of issues going on in, in Nicaragua. Um, I think that very little of it has been talked about, um, and, and I'm part of the problem here. You know, we've certainly talked about the labor issues and, and some of the other things, but I, I, I have not been in Nicaragua since uh, January 2020. But um, you know, from what I gather, talking to people that are there and reading news reports, and, and you know, and I guess that's kind of the extent of it. But yeah. talking to a variety of people and reading, you know, um, non-cigar journalist reports about what's happening there. I think there are a lot of issues that are much more relevant than how cigar burns and and draws. Um, Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't think that the, the embargo is very likely. What I will say though, is the labor issues are very, very real. And, um, I suspect that over the next few years, you're going to see some companies that are currently in Nicaragua announce, uh, secondary operation and maybe they don't announce them because maybe they want to kind of keep it hush hush. But um I do know that a number of Nicaraguan manufacturers have uh and are very seriously exploring like they need they they feel like they need to open up another factory. And because of the labor issues and the uncertainty, you know, with uh Nicaragua, not necessarily the embargo, but just of the the general stability um that Honduras is is really looking like a, a much more likely scenario. I mean I, I don't think that there's enough Labor, from what I understand, to really support the factories that are currently in Esteli, let alone trying to build new factories. So, yeah, interesting. I agree with you on that. I, I think that the issues in Nicaragua are either they're they're one of the three largest. There are three probably top tier, number one stories facing the cigar industry. I would say that the the sort of future of FDA regulations and the sort of issues regarding Cuba. Um, and um, and then it's a very, very long way to issue number four.
0: fair enough. I, I I tend to agree with that too. All right, there's this question. Will Robert Cardiff last the full term as Joe Biden's FDA commissioner?
2: Um I mean, I guess that depends on whether or not what you think of Joe Biden like of this term of Biden or are we talking about like just to the end Joe of this Biden's first term, there? let's say the end of the first term. Um, yeah, I I think he will, because the issue is, is that I don't think that the Biden administration, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and try to claim that I have some inside sources in the white house, but just, you know, being a consumer of political news here, I, I don't think that the Biden administration wants to spend political capital dealing with another FDA commissioner confirmation hearing in the Senate. Um, Cardiff, who was a former FDA commissioner had a, uh, incredibly contentious down to the last minute sort of not contentious publicly but behind the scenes just uh from a number of different issues a contentious confirmation process um you know and they really waited until the absolute last minute to to get a fully confirmed commissioner into that position before the acting commissioners um was forced to uh resign from her role because of Uh, there's limits about how long you can have an acting official in a position for uh, a singular person in an acting role. Um, I also just can't imagine that they're going to want to bring, like, let's say Cardiff is forced out by the Biden administration, hypothetically here. You're just going to invite from both sides, just a number of FDA needs to answer things about baby formula and COVID and uh, prescription drugs and cigarettes and all sorts of things and the problem is is that i don't think that there's a ton of areas where either republicans or democrats want to stand up and applaud fda for doing much of anything these days so i just don't see that being a something i, I think if you're the biden administration you are desperately trying to keep him in his role as long as possible
0: yeah i'm thinking he stays too like when i predicted the whole thing about um gottlieb um I I have seen some stuff and I also heard some stuff. I think he had other things he wanted to do. Cardiff, I think he went back in this role because he wanted this role too. So I don't see him like looking to exit out any quicker. So as long as they're happy with him, like and all the reasons you said, I, I don't I think it matters if
2: they're happy with him to be quite but, honest.
0: Right, but as long as they like, I think your point about another hearing is is a valid one too. So I, I yeah, don't see I mean, that. I think.
2: I think that's the real key here. Like, I don't, I'd be curious to know how many people it took before they settled on him as the nomination. I I gather that, that he was not their first choice. I gather he wasn't their first choice, but he
0: wanted to, I said, yeah, I want the job
2: back. So. Well, and also he had already been the FDA commissioner. So, you know, if you were trying to ease concerns with, you know, some of the Democrats that were maybe on the fence there, you can say, look, he, he was here before. And, you know, yes, did things go perfectly? No, but welcome to life. Um, I just cannot imagine that that that's something that the Biden administration wants to spend local capital on.
0: All right, I kind of agree, I agree with you on that. All right, three more questions. Biggest challenge cigar media faces outside the FDA. <laughs>
2: Um, well, no, I mean, I, there are a number of things that come to mind. I mean, like, there's the, the really sort of, you know, not, hopefully this does not happen anytime soon, certainly not wishing this to happen, but like, there is the very real question of what happens to CA in a post shankin world. Um, yeah. you know, he's not, no, none of us are getting any younger, but he's a, a little bit older than you and I are. Mm -hmm. um and aaron uh so uh that is a question that is going to be fascinating to see but that's only really specific to ca but that is the 1800 pound gorilla in the room um yeah i don't i mean i i I think it depends on what medium you're in like if you're on you know if you're one of the people that is still relying on youtube youtube is the the number one question um the print space i think is really like a you know i think that the shankin what happens in a post shankin world is is probably something that that will affect some of these other places um as well um i don't know Uh, it's a good question i agree with both those things yeah i mean look i i i'm not trying to, to take a victory lap here but like we're continuing to grow so sure not at the rate that we were um, in 2020, but people are also not locked down like they were in 2020. Yeah. So the growth rate slowing down a little bit is not surprising. But, yeah, I, um, I, I mean, I think the, the largest existential question is, like, what role does Cigar Media serve 10 years from now? Because, you know, these brands have gotten a lot more savvy on social media and on the Internet, which is where, you know, you and I live. And you, you're seeing, you know, I remember you and I had conversations publicly and privately about like, all these brands are doing, you know, podcasts and YouTube shows. How long is this going to last post COVID? Um, and, you know, once they're still around kicking it? I don't know about the rest of them. Um, but uh, there, there's a bit of that of like, you've seen some non-media specific people, whether it's JR Cigar with their YouTube channel, I'm guessing that that's, that's no longer on YouTube. I actually know that. I don't know if uh, it's on Rumble. Seen... Yeah, I don't know if they're on Rumble. Yeah, either. but you've seen like they made a very large investment and it paid off. And obviously, you know, Tim in Arizona, you know, pivoted and, and you know, continued to have a very successful social mm-hmm. media platform. Um, the aforementioned Fuente Show, you got Cigar Hustler with their podcast, which from what I understand is is sort of a, a bit of a quiet, uh, not giant, but like it, it has a very outsized influence compared to I think what most people in the industry would probably think of it if they even know it exists. Obviously, Dave Groff is continuing to do what he's been doing, but that's sort of a more of a legacy retailer implication of that. So there is a bit of it, like though, like what happens if the brands get so good at it that they feel like they don't need your run of the mill cigar media? Um, certainly, at Half Wheel, I think that's a much more pressing question than YouTube or Shankin.
0: Agree. I agree with that. Yeah. Agree with that. Yeah. The um for sure there, uh, but I haven't, but at the same time, you know, I I seen a lot of them get out of it, but I've seen a couple of other podcasts pop up. Lately. I mean, Drew Estate
2: obviously is continuing that. Well, Drew State, yeah, Just Drew State, but they're, machine.
0: yeah. I mean, they've pivoted a lot. They're doing their, are announcing instead of, you know, going through trade channels now they're, they're, they're announcing it through more consumer channels. They're in the product announcements. I think that will continue. So, yeah, I mean, I've seen a couple of other small podcasts pop up. I have seen like, um, what was it? Uh, Jake Wyatt just launched one and a couple of others, but yeah, for the most part, it's been, I think it's been pretty quiet. I think I think we're we're a ways away from them doing that. Uh, you know, Altidus was trying it for a while. General really didn't try it. Uh, Davidoff really didn't try it. So I'd say Altidus and Drew State, but then anyway, General's got,
2: got that. They've got you know that whole website that they have built out and community that they're trying to embrace. I don't know how that's going. I don't know either. Yeah. That's
0: a good yeah, I haven't really seen it um I don't know how pivotal it is to their um business strategy. I mean they they've been they seem like they're embracing more of these um like social groups lately like the punch the punch group the Liguria society they're doing some stuff with that it looks like. Uh I wouldn't say that's pivotal business strategy. They've been limited releases they've kind of worked with these groups on so um if they continue to do that we'll see. All right, two more questions, and then two flip questions. So the first one is, give me you know, like, recently the best example of a cigar company engaging and working with cigar media.
2: This is not voting well
0: for me. It may not be. There may not be an
2: answer. I don't, I mean, I just, I feel like we're, I may not be the best, I may not be in a very good position of this because I feel like so much of my interactions with, with cigar companies are very different than ones that typical cigar media would have, starting with the fact that, you know, this is my job, this is my full time job.
1: Right. So, well, you I mean, know, you I'm not use the tool that you've created to look inside to see how uh, yeah. cigar companies are working with cigar media.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I I just can't, like, I don't know. I think I'm a bit insulated to it. I'm trying to think of, like, some initiative that the cigar company has done.
1: Important Tobacco Trust.
2: Yeah, it's like we (laughs) declined to participate in the, you know, that particular endeavor. Um, Yeah, I don't. Is there something I'm missing? Like, can the two of you name something? I was, looking Drew St-
0: I was looking at Drew State and Dumbarton were my two answers there. They they worked the media system well this year.
2: Oh, yeah, but that's not, like, recently. Like, they've been doing that for a while now.
0: I think in the last two years, they have, though. I mean, I think they've used the consensus uh, in particular because they, they're they not necessarily getting the CA ratings, so they're going to plan B.
2: Yeah.
0: And that's not. I'm not trying to say you CA CA. Look, I'm just saying that. But yeah, but you know, would that change? You know, it's it's gonna be interesting to see with Drew State. You know, they're engaging a lot more with CA this year, and and I think, um, I I don't from from the discussions I've had with Drew State, I think there's gonna be, I still think there's gonna be a lot of support for cigar media. But I think they had to engage CA for the whole blackened release. I think that was something they needed to do. Um, because they're trying to reach other, they're trying to penetrate. A bit outside of cigars with some of this stuff.
2: Yeah. I don't. I guess I think the clear answer here is that I'm either just not thinking of the obvious answer or I don't think that there is really one in the That's last, fair. last it's six fair. months that stands yeah. out to me. I mean, like, you know, somebody like Mirafell, for example, like they've obviously started doing Brace Media, but like I don't think they're really doing media relations differently than no most oh here's one that stands out casa 1910 like oh yeah that party that you were at yeah like like casa 1910 has decided that they're just gonna throw a whole bunch of money around and you know i don't know how the roi is but like it's different which is why it stands out um and there's a lot of it um and so yeah like that's one where it's a bit of a different approach, you know, like Mirafell sent a press release and did that thing with CA that was nice and created some, you know, great visuals and things like that. But like Casa 1910 did something different. Like they, they were yeah. like, we're going to have a, a cultural experience and invite a whole bunch of media down and yeah. maybe not the best weekend of the year for the American media, but um, yeah, they,
0: and they recognize that too. Actually, um, the, why they did it is because of, uh, revolution day weekend they wanted yeah. to coincide that was the reason why they did it but they they recognized that that might might have been a problem this year
2: so they made. and also like uh i think two other media or two other cigar companies were doing like pretty big events that week if i'm not mistaken
0: uh yeah yeah what was jc was newman
2: and southern draw i think was trying to do something as well
0: yeah yeah jc newman had that thing going on it was like actually i, I had a choice between the two but i'd already bought the plane ticket for uh for mexico city which is actually it's mexico city is like a very inexpensive trip to take is what i discovered it's cheap down there one of my
2: favorite places
0: yeah it, i've never been there before uh like not a ton of cigar shops but um definitely uh some some good place to go for sure it was and it's cheap i mean it's really cheap yeah. to stay there
2: it's uh travel there it's not not gonna break your wallet
0: all but right, yeah, and, I think the
2: answer is I I can't really think of much of anything yeah. outside of customizing ten. Yeah.
0: Actually we have a few more questions I just rose, but I'll try to go through these quickly. All right. What's the worst example of cigar media? Engage uh, worst example of a company engaging cigar media. I think I know your answer here on this one.
2: Uh I mean on heads of Luciano get gets, <laughs> like
0: yeah <laughs> I had Caldwell at the trade show with the uh the queen is dead no, oh queen. yeah like, I don't just playing a, displaying a project oh, I can't talk about it it's not, okay. <laughs> like how, why? why I don't you...
2: know I feel like I have a pretty good relationship with Robert you know whenever he's in town we got there and go you know kind of score things and and yet, like, I texted him a couple weeks ago about something and no reply. So, I I, I don't know. It's kind of hard for the course. Sometimes he's very engaged and sometimes, sometimes not he's not yeah. Um, yeah. But in, like, in terms of strategy, yeah, I don't. I mean, yeah. I, I think the ones that, that stand out as, like, not doing it are the ones where, you know, I guess Caldwell with that, although, in fairness, the other seven products he was willing to talk about. So, you know he's seven out of eight of them or whatever the number was. I just didn't but understand like, it. I just didn't understand it. Yeah. Yeah. It was a weird one, but then again, I emailed Padron and asked them about the Padron black series. And they tell me that they don't know what I'm talking about. So <laughs>
0: you know. that's another good one.
2: Yeah. Like they just say, like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. well, cool. We've sold like seven of them over the years and right. apparently it doesn't exist.
0: Nice. All right. Uh, this is what I call now or never. It's like you Dave Burke's question from jukebox. He's come up with it so here's what i want here's how i answer this question um we name a company that's got to get their shit together uh soon or they're going to be in big trouble
2: it's going to be in big
0: trouble um
2: I mean, like Casa 1910 might make it onto this list as well. Like <laughs> at some point, they, I think, I, I don't know, but I, it seems like they're probably spending a lot more money than cigars they're selling. Um, maybe not that they're spending more money than the revenue, but that the ratio is probably right. pretty high compared to the burn rate's got to be a lot higher than most companies. Um, I don't know though. Like here's the thing, like they, Cigar companies have like 27 lives like, yeah. you know, an SOPD is probably going to set a press release yeah. out at some point in the next three months. And yeah, you know, I, yeah. I just, I don't, I don't, I'm trying to think of somebody that's like had momentum where it seems like it's fallen off. I mean, mine's I one.: there. mine's
0: vulgar. It seemed like they had a little momentum and it now just kind of totally is slowed down again.
2: Yeah, but I think if you, I mean, here's the problem with this question. And it's not like I'm afraid to like put somebody on blast. Right. Like, that's not the issue here. Right. I, at the moment, though, like if you're struggling to sell cigars and you've been struggling to sell cigars for the last two years, like you you should not be the cigar business. So yeah. that's what makes this so tough. Like I, you may be right that like some of the things that Billiger has done, like there was momentum and then they lost a little bit of it. But I bet if you go ask Billiger about their sales, they're probably like, oh, the last two years have been excellent.
0: They've been, but they've been um, doing a lot of les that have been selling out quickly, and they look so. It looks like that, but the core lines. My question is: Are these core lines really making an impact? That's where I think they lost their momentum.
2: Yeah, I mean, they're such a weird one because of how large their business is, and how maybe not large it is in the U.S. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm talking,
0: and I'm probably thinking Villager, North America in particular. And I, and I love yeah. Renee. I think he's a great guy and everything. Um, and I think he had he did some really good things. Now I'm just like, what are they doing lately? Is my question.
2: Yeah. I mean, like I tell you, like, here's an example, like Prometheus, for example, they have not been at the trade show the last two years. So that in like, you know, they're not a company that has the most public facing interactions. Um, and yet I bet if I asked Keith how sales are, he'd be like, they're, they're excellent. Like we don't have enough products to sell. And it's like, on the other hand, the God of Fire 30th and 25th anniversary there's some anniversary cigar that's been like delayed for the last three years that allegedly is shipping this week i don't know if it actually did um but it's like you know on one hand you've got this project that's been that was announced at the last trade show that you were at which was before covid it still has yeah. not shipped yet but on the other hand if your sales are through the roof and you don't have any products to sell then who am i to say anything like
0: they got it? that fuente channel going though so yeah
2: but also like, you know, I think every cigar company pretty much has had a pretty good last two years. And if you had to start asking them like, hey, what are your problems? They probably aren't like, oh, we're not selling enough cigars. Probably a lot of like box factory, you know, can't get broadly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I I don't know if there's one that really stands out. I mean, obviously Mombacho is going through a what seems like a pretty large transition a bit confusing to figure out exactly well, I was, that was very <laughs> yes you probably don't release. even know the half of it um so <laughs> uh there's a reason why it's not on half of it at the moment and uh not like is just very confusing um but like you know i don't know like they seem like they're in a transition point so um in terms of the get your shit together moment i wouldn't put them in the category i don't Look, if you're sitting around on a whole bunch of inventory, um, then that's that's the company, and I just don't know who that would.
0: That's be a fair point. Yeah, yeah, and I don't. Like I said, I don't know the answer to that either.
2: And quite frankly, I think if you're a company that's sitting on a whole bunch of inventory, you were probably sitting on a whole bunch of inventory before COVID, so you're not really in a timely right get your shit together moment. I mean, look, I, I certainly, you know, as will be talked about, I'm sure in. I'm I'm guessing it's probably going to show up in editorials from the two of you. It certainly will be mentioned by me. Quality control issues across the board. Uh, we got issues, but that's yeah. not a that's not unique to a company. It's not unique to a country. That's a All across the board industry wide yeah. problem. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So everyone everyone needs to get their shit together. We need some quality control. <laughs>
1: <laughs> not Here's just in the scarnage industry either. There's a lot of other shit to good. Yeah.
2: Resolve. Yep. Yeah. nacho quality is just not, been, not been <laughs> exactly the right. All right. All right.
0: I'll give you the last question here. Uh, in your career, halfway, what's the one do over you'd want? Is it something like you did that you'd say I'd like to just do it over? Um. You
1: know,
2: I I really do think like. I'm not sitting here as we pack up the building because we got foreclosed on. So, um, you know, it's, there's a bit of me that's like, you know, or or a decent bit of me that, or a decent part of me that says, you know, those are learning experiences and hopefully we learned and, and hopefully I learned. Um, I think that, I mean, one thing I mentioned earlier, like, is a not as a, a super impactful thing, but I think that my personal decision to embrace Twitter over Facebook cost our business quite a bit. If I had understood that that Facebook was just because I didn't like Facebook, didn't mean that the vast majority of the population wouldn't choose Facebook over Twitter. Right. Um, I, I think that 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 would be different. I mean, there's certainly times in which we've gotten it wrong, or I, I, I've personally gotten it wrong. And those are never good moments, but it happens. That's, I also, yeah. it it happens, and you know, I think the important part is owning up to it, and and I think that we've been pretty good about owning up to it publicly, um, and I don't think the processes the, the processes have failed that often, um, and we've been doing it for long enough. Um, I do think that ultimately the largest regret and the largest do-over I'm I'm always going to want is I wish that I would have gotten to know people a bit better because life is fragile and you know there's people like Manny from Ashton that I met and you know it wasn't it wasn't because I didn't want to it was just like I met him and who who would have known that that his time was about to be very short yeah um yeah, yeah. And so I think, like, I saw Cigar Snob was doing a, a profile on Julio Iroa. And, you know, I, I was looking at it and I was like, man, I really wish that I could get back down to Honduras and spend some time with Julio because neither one of us are getting any younger. And, you know, he's um, he's someone that I really, really enjoyed the four days I got to spend with him a, a handful of years ago. Um, I, I suspect that when all said and done, uh, barring some sort of catastrophic thing, that'll be what I'll probably look back on as the the big regret is just the sort of interactions I had with people that, that there's always going to be something that's left on the table. But in terms of what's happened in the, the sort of 10 plus years of Half Wheel, it's a lot of little things and and things that like, yeah, I wish we weren't bolding random words and articles for the first two years of Half Wheel. But like compared to the human relationship stuff, that's that's not going to... You just kind of shrug your shoulders and go, you know, I'd rather, I would have rather invested the time and meeting people and getting to know them better and getting to hear them and, and listen to them versus spending time hitting control B on my keyboard. But, uh, and then having to unbold all those articles five years later. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't, you know, look, we we had Tenemu. We, we tried to have a beer site that was similar to Half Wheel. That, that did not work. We shut it down um, In the middle of last year, and you know, certainly hindsight's twenty twenty. That was a lot of time and, and resources that were not spent for something that was very that was not that was never profitable, never close to being profitable. Many times it was just not generating revenue, and I continued to support it um, because I felt like it was what was best for our business, even if there was a lot of signs that that wasn't the smart decision. But like I said. um, the moment i feel like i'm in a decent enough place so yeah um i really i i really take a lot more um points of reflection about the process and how we got to the decisions that we made then did we make the right decision um that's the thing that i think is, is the stuff that kind of keeps me up or the stuff that i reflect back on is like did were we missing something um but uh yeah. I mean, I, I think that, uh, I think when all of a done, it's going to be, I wish I got to know some of these people better. And, and, and a lot of that comes from the fact that I've gotten to know so many people, um, very well. And, and they unfortunately there's not enough time and, and happenstance and things like that.
0: Yeah. I can understand that too. That's a good one.
2: All right. Aaron,
0: anything else before we wrap up?
1: Nope. I think that's it.
0: All right, Charlie, thank you very much uh, for your time. Uh, we do appreciate it. Great discussion. Um, so uh, best of luck to you. Have a, a great holiday at the end of the year. I, I'm sure we'll see each other sometime next year, somewhere.
2: Yeah, it sounds like we'll potentially be seeing each other at TPE and uh, yep. congrats, guys, on 250 of these. Um, thank you, thank you very much. We appreciate 250 it. 250 yeah. times seven hours per show, right? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> a lot of months of time that you guys have spent on here. So, <laughs> yeah,
0: we have. Uh, we were told we weren't last that long, so uh, so it's great. Uh, all right, for our audience, thank you very much. Next week, uh, episode 251, Aaron and I will be back next Thursday. Uh, Brian Matola of uh, Cavalier will be our guest, so uh look forward to talking to him. All right, and that's going to wrap up primetime episode 250 of the Annals of History for Thursday, December 1st, now Friday, December 2nd on the Eastern Time Zone. We'll see everybody next time. Take care, everybody.
1: See you guys.